The cinemas, the silver screen, the theater, the big screen. No matter what name you give these houses of film, there's one thing we can all agree on. We love to go to the movies. Looking good, Francis. Well rested. Like you've been pitching, not catching. Play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me. If you ask me, everybody in this theater is a giant sucker. Especially you. It's a bit nippy out. I mean nippy out. <laughs> what did I say? Nipple. <laughs> I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Win or lose, we're gonna walk out of the stadium tonight with our heads held high. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. We have had a doozy of a day. Real doozy. I only eat popcorn. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. Welcome to Chuck Goes to the Movies. And now. Here is your master of cinema, Jeffrey Chuck Norris. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Middle Earth. On our last episode, Stephen and I began our journey through the Lord of the Rings, and today our journey continues. But before we take the road, or take to the road, I should actually say, I just have a few requests as usual. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. That is the best way to keep up with everything that is happening with the show. Rate and review wherever you get your podcasts from. All reviews will get a shout out on Instagram and on the show. And if you haven't had a chance yet, go check out the first six episodes. If anything, make sure you listen to our Fellowship of the Ring episode before this one. If not, you'll be angry and you won't understand this one. And I can feel your anger. It makes you stronger. Oh, wait. Wrong franchise. Oh, wait. <laughs> wrong franchise. Woo. Channeling my Star Wars there. All right. We're going we're gonna to forget that ever happened. Now, let's chase Merry and Pippin into the forest, and let's wake up some ancient trees. So joining me again, as I said earlier, Stephen is back here as my fellow traveler through Middle Earth. Stephen, welcome back. Hi. Good to be back. Yes. Where have you been? Uh, standing here on the mountainside next to you, looking off into Mount Doom, uh, deciding when we should pick this journey up. I've got my elven rope ready to go. Elven rope ready to go. You got plenty of Limbus bread. All right, let's do this. Uh, so, um, while we have been trekking through Middle Earth, has there been any films or TV shows that you've been watching during our times of rest that you would like to talk about real quick? Uh... No, I only I just rewatched more stuff for the two towers. <laughs> You've been watching all the behind the scenes stuff. I th- yeah, I think that's I think that's all that I did. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, I highly condone that. I managed to squeeze in one new movie. I Ooh. actually watched it before we recorded Fellowship of the Ring, but I wanted to save it for this one. Uh, I watched that new Vince Vaughn movie, Freaky. Oh, that looks so fun. It was a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. It is. It's a little disturbing in some parts, mainly because, you know, the whole body switch thing and Vince Vaughn trying to act like a teenage girl is a little creepy, yeah. but it's it's funny and it works. He does such a great job. Even the girl, I can't think of her name off the top of my head. Uh, she does such a great job in this movie. They're just both fun to watch and watch the whole thing play out. I highly recommend you take the time and sit down and watch Freaky. 
Yeah, it definitely looked like a because uh, I was a big it kind of. I think it's from the same producers at least as um, Happy Death Day. Yeah, and it's a and it's a Happy Death House Day to film. you. Yeah, which I really enjoy those movies that kind of like you know take a horror movie concept and kind of like play with the silliness of it. Yeah, I um, mean, it, and you, I like it was perfect. Like, so you sit there and you think. Ah, Vince Vaughn, Vince Vaughn of all people, like why him? Is it going to work? Things like that. You know, it's kind of like back in the day, back when Iron Man was first uh, announced that it was going to happen. And they said Robert Downey Jr. is going to play Tony Stark. And there was this huge question if he was going to be able to pull off such a character. And he he did so flawlessly, by the way. He was born yeah. to play Tony Stark. Um mm-hmm. You think about Vince Vaughn, and you're just like, Vince Vaughn in a horror movie? I mean, one, that Psycho remake wasn't exactly the greatest. I'm going to be honest. You like I it? I don't like the Psycho I, I'm, I'm, I think it's very silly to have made a shot-for-shot shot remake I know, of it, Psycho. I think that's ridiculous. At least change that something. Being, yeah, I wish, I you know, there that movie could have done way better. I have never gotten the dislike of vince vaughn as norman bates because he's so affable mm-hmm. and kind of always plays a goofy dude i'm like what a perfect choice for this like seemingly harmless dude who turns out to be a serial serial killer yeah that movie just doesn't really capitalize on i think on any of its cast because speaking of uh make a connection to our other stuff uh vigo mortensen yes yes completely forgot about that he is in that movie uh the the problem is, is that, you know, yes, it's a shot for shot remake. It's basically just an update, but nothing, nothing is ever going to replace in my heart the original. No, nothing. No. Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates is the Norman Bates. He's the only Norman yep. Bates. And Janet Lee, gotta love Janet. So, oh, but anyway, so Vince Vaughn, he, he pulls it off flawlessly in my opinion you know he's he's always been great at comedy i can't think of a vince vaughn funny movie that i absolutely strongly dislike they may not all be hits with me but i don't sit there and hate on them either um yeah you know wedding crashers is probably one of my top of his i quote (laughs) that movie almost daily so um he does a great job again highly recommend everybody sit down and watch freaky it's only about an hour 45 minutes of your life it's not bad at all. Anyway, so sounds good. sounds good. Here is my mystery question for you today. Oh, exciting. All right. So, would you rather be a man of Rohan, or would you Ooh. rather be a man of Gondor? State your case. Oh boy, that's a uh, actually a really tough question. It is, isn't it? I'm I'm gonna go with Rohan mm. because tell you why. Okay. Um, even though I'm much more fan of like the architecture of uh, say uh, Minas Tirith mm-hmm. or in like just pretty much like Asgillith, like even though it's all in ruins, but like more of a generally a fan of uh, Gondor architecture. Yeah. Uh, and their armor. Uh, I I like the for all of his faults and we'll probably get talk about this in in relative length as we move forward but um <laughs> for all of his faults i think theoden is an incredible leader oh um, absolutely 
and I love his character. So like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna be standing behind a dude, like because here's the thing, both of those groups of people get kind of screwed. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> like they both yeah, like they both kind of have a bad time of it uh in these next two movies. Spoilers, I guess. Uh, and, if, if people are already listening to this, hopefully they already know what's happening. Yeah, please, God, go see Lord <laughs> of the Rings if you haven't. Please. If that wasn't abundantly clear from our last episode, please go watch it. Uh, uh, but yeah, that's that's my reasoning. I would go with uh, Rohan um, also because they're kind of modeled after uh, Vikings and Vikings are pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the general speak, you know, let's not look at the actual history of what Vikings are and the, their horrible, horrible things that they did. Like the mindset of like a warrior kind of, you know, like that romanticized idea of like a warrior um, society like that, where they, they live for the glory of battle. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to stand up, you know, against the forces of Mordor with that mindset. I can get behind that too. Absolutely. Before I give my answer, I just want to say I love your little Vikings reference. Uh, that's actually yeah. perfect. I also thought of Beowulf. Yes, it is very much so something like that. Yeah, uh, just like every time I think of um, his throne room and everything like that, mm-hmm. I just I, I, I think back to that really weird animated movie Beowulf. Um it's really weird. I still kind of like it, though. It's like a guilty pleasure for me. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a fun movie to watch, but it's still just rather weird, uh, except for like <laughs> yeah. Angelina Jolie. She's really, I don't know about that. <sighs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that was a weird choice. Very weird. But uh, so my answer, uh, I would be an honor. I would be honored to be a man from either land. I am drawn to the simplicity of Rohan. Uh, they seem a little bit more earthbound, not prone to mm-hmm. rising too far above their glory. Not to say that they aren't for glory but i again they just seem a little bit more grounded in reality whereas you know you're in gondor and they place themselves on higher pedestals uh you know like you said their architecture is a lot more beautiful it's pristine they hold to a higher account the finer things in life and it's all pomp and circumstance it's all um it's all show and pizzazz and stuff like that and I don't have anything against that either. Um, and you know, you gotta you gotta respect Gondor while the Rohirrim are out there fighting. You know, the legions of orcs and stuff like that, or uh, anybody who threatens their lands and stuff like that. Gondor has been in that constant battle as that neighbor to Mordor yeah. with um, with Sauron's forces, orcs, and things like that. You gotta you gotta appreciate everything that Gondor men go through i mean they are grand masters and they they are basically born to defend their way of life to defend their city and stuff like that and to defend their uh uh their countrymen so honestly you know they both come with their pros and cons i would have to choose Mm -hmm. gondor over rohan for just one simple reason i hate horses Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> oh, you want me to learn to ride a horse? Uh, isn't it time yeah, for that horse I'm to go right. to the glue factory? I'd rather go uh, spend every day with uh, Mordor staring over my shoulder. Yeah. Thanks, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 they need a they need a volunteer on the front lines in Osgiliath. Okay, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. 
<laughs> you know, though, I and like you're talking about, like they're they do seem a bit loftier. We'll probably again we'll save this for the third movie. Mm-hmm. I think you are right, and I think that that is a constant them coming across that way is a consequence of them being the royal city, mm-hmm. uh, but being under really terrible leadership currently. Oh, I like mean, they, it looks way worse than I think. I think because like once you know you got a king in there who knows what he's doing. You got no crazy steward. You'll be all right. See, that's a problem. You just, uh, you know, Denethor. I'm sure Denethor, before he let the power get to him, was a good man. I'm sure he was. You know, I'll, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I'm. I'm really. We're gonna see. I'm we're gonna grasp, see him in I'm, this for I'm, a little bit in this movie, and he is not super great. I'm grasping <laughs> at <laughs> those uh, leaves on the tree that don't exist right now because you know there's not a proper king in Gondor. Yeah. No, yeah, not yet. Not yet. Uh, but uh, it's coming. It's coming, guys. Don't worry. But uh, no, I get it. I get what you're saying. But yeah, that's a good point, though. Yeah, I mean, like that's you know, if you're uh, you're not a fan of horses, uh, you're gonna be really unhappy in Rohan. <laughs> that and you know, as beautiful and quaint as the country of uh, countryside of Rohan seems to be, I can't get over the beauty and majesty of Minas Tirith. Honestly, I like. Mm-hmm. I would literally just probably stare around that place all day and be like, "Oh my god, this is where I live." And of course, they're probably all thinking, "Ugh, this is where I live." Yeah, it's the same view all day long. the The fiery smoke of Mordor and a cliff. This is all. This is all I get to see. Yeah, but like you said, I, I like the the vista of seeing Min- the way they did Minas Tirith in the third movie just looks so good. Yes, and it's absolutely gorgeous. We got a we got a preview of it during uh, the Fellowship of the Ring during the extended That's right. Version. We did. Mm-hmm. Yes, only I guess true Pretty. fans would have caught on that that was Minas Tirith. All right, so without further ado, why don't we dive into the two towers? The veiling shadow that glowers in the east takes shape. Sauron will suffer no rival. From the summit of Beridur, his eye watches ceaselessly. But he is not so mighty yet that he is above fear. Doubt ever gnaws at him. The rumor has reached him. The heir of Numenor still lives. Sauron fears you, Aragorn. He fears what you may become. And so he will strike hard and fast at the world of men. He will use his puppet Saruman to destroy Rohan. War is coming. Rohan must defend itself, and therein lies our first challenge. For Rohan is weak and ready to fall. The king's mind is enslaved. It's an old device of Saruman's. His hold over King Theoden is now very strong. Sauron and Saruman are tightening the noose. But for all their cunning, we have one advantage. The ring remains hidden. And that we should seek to destroy it has not yet entered their darkest dreams. And so the weapon of the enemy is moving towards Mordor in the hands of a hobbit. Each day brings it closer to the fires of Mount Doom. We must trust now in Frodo. Everything depends now upon speed and upon the secrecy of his quest. Do not regret your decision to leave him. Frodo must finish this task alone.
So this film was released on December 18th of 2002, less than one year after The Fellowship of the Ring, by exactly one day. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's filming all three of them at the same time, so it's not like a traditional, yeah, you know, film a movie and ship it kind of deal, but it's still insane to look at everything they did in these films and look how quickly they were I mean it was it, pushed out it was done perfectly I mean we literally mm-hmm. got 2001 December 2001 fellowship December 2002 two towers December of mm-hmm. 2003 return of the king it was so perfect the way you did it it was enough time between each movie to process everything and just build that anticipation for the next one it wasn't years between sequels and I think Peter Jackson and company did a fantastic job in making those decisions to do what they did, because that's that's the only way to tell a story that essentially starts on page one of Fellowship and doesn't end until pay, you know, the last page of Return of the King. And it's supposed to be one continuous thing. It's not like built in breaks like you would have with the like yeah. Harry Potter series or the Hunger Games or anything like that or even Star Wars or even Star Wars exactly there's years between well depending on you know which sequel you're going to I mean there's usually like a significant amount of time though yeah. there's always significant amounts of time between those movies mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings doesn't get that luxury so I think it's brilliant just film them all at once and deliver it to us in three beautifully done movies Mm-hmm. The estimated budget for this film was $94 million. On opening weekend, it did $62 million, nearly $14.8 million more than The Fellowship did, and its total gross was $943.4 million, nearly $55.1 million more than Fellowship. According to BoxOfficeMojo.com, this film is the second highest grossing film in the trilogy. It is also the 56th Ah, that's a hard word. That's a hard number to say. <laughs> it is also the 56th highest grossing film of all time. It comes just after The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies from 2014, and right before Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix from 2007. It's there in semi-decent company. I, it's better than both of those movies by a significant amount. Oh, absolutely. Me being a huge Harry Potter fan, I can easily say that. That's actually one of my least favorite movies. Yes. Um, much better book. But that book was so huge and they had to cut so much out of it. I get it. Well, I mean, even that book, as good as it was, I was just like totally like that. it's supposed to be a dark time for all of those characters. I was so ready. Yeah, you know, J.K. Rowling. Past this. <laughs> yeah, she... she she definitely shifted the way she wrote and again, the tone of the book, but you're absolutely right. Voldemort's returned and stuff like that. So everything's different. It's got to be dark. It's got to be, you got to kill off everybody's favorite character. Everyone (sighs) loves Sirius. You know, I had that uh, spoiled for me like a chapter before it happened. I was pretty pissed. Oh, I would have been so pretty angry. angry. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That was like, um, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) That was like, um, Half-Blood Prince. So uh, when I read the Half-Blood Prince, someone uh, I was a little late to the party. It was it was already out for like two weeks, and somebody's like, "Oh, you know, somebody significant dies." I was like, "You tell me who dies. You're gonna die with them." <laughs> and so I locked myself up in my room. I read that book in like a day, and I locked myself up. No, actually, it took me two days because when I got to the part where that person died, I threw that book across the room. I was so pissed. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was almost spoiled for me as well. Um, I finished Order of the Phoenix and I didn't have the last two, mm-hmm. uh, and I was very sick at the time. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, I I gotta keep reading them. I can't just stop. <laughs> so I like pump myself full of cold medicine and drive to Target and pick up the last two books. <clears throat> and I realized that the uh, cashier, in hindsight, once I read what happens at the end of Half-Blood Prince, I realized that in my sickened stupor, I did not actually process that the cashier spoiled for me who died. Oh, uh, what did you, As what did I'm they checking say? out. What did they say? Uh, uh, so I, spoilers for Harry Potter, I guess? I mean, <laughs> you know. Again, watch them. They're pretty good. I'll put a spoiler uh, alert for Harry Potter in the show notes. I guess. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, as I realized, like, I, I guess just like I said, I was so full of cold medicine and I was sick. So I just wasn't really paying attention to what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, my sister cried uh, for two days after Dumbledore, after Snape killed Dund- Dumbledore at the end of this book. And I'm like, <laughs> and thinking back after I read what happens at the end, I'm like, wait a minute, that asshole. <laughs> 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 like it clicked in my head as soon as it mm-hmm. happened. I was like, that. That guy told me that happened. I just didn't realize it. <laughs> wow. I would. Oh, man, I would have been so. I'm glad you didn't pick up on it until you had actually yeah, I, read it, because if I if you someone thankful. would have ruined a significant plot point like that for me. So oh, I was. Oh, no, 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 no. Um, It's kind of like uh, when uh, people talk to me about Game of Thrones, like, oh, I don't want to ruin Game of Thrones for you. It's like, well, one, I already know how the entire show ends. Thank you, Internet. Yeah. Uh, two, you can ruin the hell out of it for me because I, there's a chance I'm never going to sit down and actually watch it from beginning to end, guys. So, sorry. Um, all right. Game of Thrones is okay. Eh. My, that's my my hot take on Game of Thrones. It like the books are pretty cool. I, um, <laughs> I can't make it past the first season. I never can. Like I get halfway through the first season and I'm like, God, this is boring. Excuse me. Yeah, you gotta you gotta want like the political intrigue. Um, if you look at it, like it's, it's our type five on Game of Thrones. Um, it's interesting <laughs> that he took uh, real historical events that happened uh, and then just kind of wrapped um, this fantasy kind of dressing around it. That's that's an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, you know, who's to say how that's actually going to work out until the books actually finish? Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it's generally known that uh, once the show outpaced the books they got significantly worse yeah because the they, show they, got significantly they worse had to make up shit at that point yeah uh, uh but anyway yeah we died game of thrones is okay <laughs> okay that is, that is a glowing re okay review from <laughs> uh my co-companion here um so anyway bringing it back to uh the two towers here. I'm not going to go into a tangent about like the next, you know, top 10 grossing films. Like I did last time, uh, rotten tomatoes. Uh, so 95% critic score certified fresh. And it's also 4% more than the fellowship of the ring. And it has a 95% audience score. So this actually got the highest critic score of the trilogy. Yeah. So I was actually talking, which is weird to me. Cause I, I, it's so hard for me to separate out these movies from each other. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult for me to do that. Uh, I was actually talking to my brother last night, and this came up, and he said this was his favorite one. I'm like, that's weird. Yes. It just generally seems to be the case that this is everyone's favorite. I don't understand why. 
uh, my theory, I, I alluded to this uh, last week, mm-hmm. I guess, um, is that it, since it's the middle chapter in a trilogy, it kind of has like a really – it's got – you have difficulty finding your beginning and your end point. But if it's in a trilogy, most people are going to understand that you don't need an actual like emotional – not climax, but like you don't have to satisfy the promise of the story yet. You just have to you just have to give a climax of some sort. Helm's so deep. I think that's why you Yeah, you get Helm's Deep or you get uh Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Like Okay, yeah. That that movie's not it doesn't end the story. It very much so ends on a cliffhanger. It's still very climactic, and again, most people's favorite. Um I think most people consider Infinity War the middle chapter of the Avengers quote unquote trilogy because of how awful meh Age of Ultron yeah. is. Yeah. Like it, it does introduce Age of Ultron, you know, we talked about it, introduces important things. It's definitely the weakest one. So I think generally speaking, people consider uh Infinity War the middle chapter, and that also gets to do the middle chapter thing, which is you have all your characters set up already, so you don't have to waste any time with that. And you don't have to worry about actually satisfying the promise of finishing your story. You can just do the cool action and then get out. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that theory. Now, it still it still needs to be you know your it still needs to be a satisfying conclusion. Um, but you know the way even the way this movie ends, it's it got a very satisfying battle at the end. It, <sighs> yes, it is did. by no means fulfilling the promise of the climax of the trilogy yet, because it doesn't have to worry about that. I like that. I, I I definitely like that, and I'm going I'm going to talk about this later about why you know, even if it is my not my favorite of the trilogy, it's still a fantastic movie. But uh, absolutely, I mean, but like if I'm going to compare it to the other three, it's definitely not my top. But uh, we'll definitely get into that later. But I love yeah. I, lo- I I love your theory on that. That's awesome. Um, well, thanks. Didn't really put that much thought into it but now that actually helps put into light empire strikes back and stuff like that which i hold the mm-hmm. very uncommon very unpopular opinion that i actually empire strikes back is not my favorite star wars <gasps> what what's your favorite star wars then <laughs> i actually like the first one Ep- oh, okay episode, All right, four, that makes episode sense. four is my favorite then i actually like return of the jedi but I like conclusion stories. I'm big. Oh, okay. So I mean, that makes sense. Conclusion stories are my absolute all-time favorite, which is why Return of the King is, you know, one of my favorite, uh, is my favorite of actually the three. Because I, I love yeah. seeing, I love seeing the satisfaction of I sat through all this. I'm going, I finally get to see how it happens. Um, but there are cases where that doesn't actually play out for me that way. Going back to Star Wars, episode nine is not my favorite of those three. Well, I mean, that also doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't really conclude. There was no satisfaction. Anything. There was nothing. I felt nothing at the end of that. The only thing I really liked about the episode nine is that I thought it had a really badass opening sequence, not the introduction of the emperor, but I love that scene. Oh, Kylo Ren. Yeah, Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren is it's the best thing about shot. the new star Wars movies. I've said it before. Yep. I will ride. I ride yep. hard for Kylo Ren. He is the best thing about uh, the new Star Wars movies, and he had the best opening sequence. 
Absolutely. That was I I watch it just for that because it's so beautifully shot and done. Um but anyway, uh I digress. So yeah, that And then they murdered him. Yeah, they <laughs> bastards. Um <laughs> But that makes sense as to why episode four would also be your favorite Star Wars because that conclusively ends. Like it has an ending and it does not have a cliffhanger for another movie. But no, I, li- I like four because, I, you know, I guess as a kid, I remember watching that a lot more than actually Empire Strikes Back or even um, really? Return of the Jedi. I just I always liked four. And then again, I like Return of the Jedi because you get a conclusion to this huge story that built, you know, yeah. uh, episodes one, two and three. Uh, I like three better than I like two or one. For me, it's three. Oh, it's three, one, two because two is. I I still can't figure out what George Lucas was doing. <laughs> Don't ever let George <laughs> Lucas write a love story ever, ever, it's, ever, ever. It's funny that you bring that up. Uh, I was thinking about episode two while watching the two towers because of the way this middle chapter um, explores the love story between. Arwen and Aragorn. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the way you do yes. it. Yes. George Lucas, why weren't like, you George taking Lucas notes? really blew it. <laughs> oh, wait, because yeah, episode like you... two came. Wait, when did, when did episode two come out? It came out in 2002, he right? Was... He didn't have I the chance so. to take notes yet. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Should have waited, man. Should have waited. <laughs> or somebody should have been reading the script that he was writing and be like, oh my God, George can't write a damn yeah. love story. Somebody help us. Anybody to tell him no would have been great. But anyway, yeah, you to bring it back to Lord of the Rings, yeah, I was George actually Lucas thinking no. about it. No. No, no, no. Speaking of George Lucas, um, uh, just to continue this tangent real quick, do you? he is going to be writing some new Star Wars stories, apparently. I thought I read an article about this uh, yesterday. He is He's kind of rejoining with Lucasfilms as a writer. To is that like a day like with Dave Filoni? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. He's, I think he's like joining them to help create some new Star Wars stories and content and cool. stuff like that. So Here, that's cool that you're bringing... the thing, dude. That's that sounds great to me because I'll I'll say it. This is the way I think of George Lucas: terrible movie maker. I think he's bad at making movies. Mm-hmm. I think he's incredible at building worlds. Yes, you know he's a, he he's got such an imagination. Let's put mm-hmm. that in mat- it, oh, It's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly how I feel about J.K. Rowling. She created such a beautiful world. Harry Potter, the wizarding world is absolutely fantastic, but she's got her claws on the Fantastic Beast franchise, and these are yeah. horrible movies. Horrible. And she's writing these screenplays. She's creating these stories, and I think she's just... She's doing an awful job. Like... Stick to your job. You created a world. Let people make sense of that world for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you obviously can't. And apparently, I don't know, I guess she has other books that she's been writing since then that are not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, of course, she's not popular with a lot of people right now because she takes no, yeah. some very like, um, that's not, opinionated yeah. political stances that don't. Yeah. Uh, that that's don't not even well taking people. that into account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's take this back. So uh, it got the. Two Towers. Man, we're good on tangents already. Yeah, um, buddy. Two Towers got the highest critic score of the trilogy, and I have chosen to highlight a selection of negative and positive reviews, including some critics Ooh. that gave negative ratings for The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, they're coming back. They're coming back. So the first one. I was bored again. Yes. So if you remember, <laughs> Peter Rayner from the New York Magazine 
did not like Fellowship of the Ring. Do you kind of remember that? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so here's his thoughts on Two Towers. This, this second installment in the trilogy ends with Gandalf intoning that the battle for Middle-earth is about to begin. I'm pumped. Well, spoilers, dude. Right? <laughs> He wrote this on August 7th, 2004. So, I mean, the movie had been out for a little bit. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, like, the the next week, he just writes, Gandalf said this at the end of the movie. Like, And people are like, Gandalf's back? What? 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 Um, That makes more sense. Yeah. (laughs) The next one I want to (laughs) read. This one is from Sarah Sands. This is from the Daily Telegraph in the UK. Um, It's a splat. She says, the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers, is like being trapped in a nerd's bedroom. <laughs> That's not like, I don't want to make it too dark of a joke. That sounds like she's got some personal baggage she's bringing to that. <laughs> got a bad experience with an ex-boyfriend, maybe. Yeah, right? <laughs> uh, Anthony Lane from The New Yorker, uh, he gave it a full tomato. When Gandalf arrives with reinforcements descending a near vertical slope using horses where you or I would use snowboards. The spirit of triumphant (laughs) rampage is something rarely glimpsed since the days of Henry V. Uh, I I will say, I mean, like, again, I find it crazy to me that even if it's years afterwards, you're just telling what happens at the end of the movie in your reviews. I think that's without saying, Hey, spoilers guys. Um, but that being said, man, that dude, that ending is so good. That ending is fantastic. Conclusion I, to this movie is so good. I, I admit it. I tear up every time Gandalf and Amir shows up, oh. and they're there. They're there to save the day, and you're like, yes, yes. Um, Richard Roper. So if you remember correctly, he also did him. not like Fellowship of the Ring. Mm-hmm. This is what he had to say in December of 2002. So when the movie came out. This film doesn't change my review of the original, (laughs) but it does have me eagerly looking forward to the final installment. I liked it a lot. Wow. Yeah. So it doesn't change his mind on the Fellowship of the Ring, but it does have him enjoying this film and looking forward to its final. So I can't wait to talk about Richard Roper in Return of the King. To see how he yeah, feels. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what he yeah. And then his what he says. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's got something fun to say. Mm-hmm. And finally, his partner Roger Ebert had this to say on December 18th, 2002. So the day the film actually came out, it is not faithful to the spirit of Tolkien, and it misplaces much of the charm and whimsy of the books. But it stands on its own as a visionary thriller. What? And he gave it three out of four uh, stars. That makes that it's the most baffling <laughs> re- like, thing I've ever heard. I don't. I would love. I I should read that more in depth to find out what exactly he means by that. Not a clue. Yeah, because I find parts of this very whimsical. Oh, absolutely! The humor in this is absolutely fantastic. Like again. Gimli and Legolas have some wonderful humorous moments between each other. Uh, you've got uh, some great uh, humor between Gimli and um, 
Oh, why can't I think of her name all of a sudden? Oh, it drives me crazy. I shouldn't have been drinking the rum. Oh, uh, Amber? No, his sister. Oh, uh, 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 um, oh God, uh, not Arwen. It's Eowyn. Eowyn. Oh, my God. Unfortunately. <laughs> Arwen, Eowyn, Amber, Eothane. Oh, my gosh. So many different names in here. Um, <laughs> yes, Eowyn. Uh, so, you know, the humor between that, you know, he's talking about dwarf women and things like that. Aragorn just <laughs> chiming in. It's the beards. Um, it's the beards. There's a lot yes, of there's a lot of great humor in this film. It's very whimsical. You know, it's very it does have its lighthearted moments like uh, I with Gollum slash Smeagol, you mm-hmm. know, he's got some lighthearted moments and stuff like that, but it also has the, its nice dark undertones, too, so... Oh, yeah, uh, well, undertones, that whole Helm's Deep is, like, I think a testament to perfectly pacing a battle. Like, it just edges towards that battle fatigue mm-hmm. in a movie where you're like, okay, I'm done. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, and, not, it's not, um, you know, in, it's not uh, Man of Steel where Superman is... Uh, Fighting uh, General Zod, uh, you know General Zod and his lackeys for like ever. I mean, I still I had a headache in the theater, but I genuinely had a headache in a the theater when I saw that. I was like, you know what though? I, I like watching Superman punch people through buildings. It's pretty yeah, cool. but it got old after a while. It's like, how many buildings do you have to destroy before <laughs> well, you finally finish on, this upon battle? rewatch? Like watching it again, you're just like, oh my god, it's still going. They're still in Smallville. Oh no. <laughs> what I what I like about that though is that they end up kind of low key making fun of it in Batman versus Superman. So that beginning sequence where you see Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck driving through yeah. um, Metropolis and stuff like that. Uh, they it's not meant to be humorous, but I kind of found it funny where he's just like, you know. He's getting upset. Like, how how many buildings does this guy like? How 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 much do we have to destroy before this ends? You know, and that's his whole reason for hating there. Superman. Like, mm-hmm. how much does how much do you have to destroy in search of protection? You know, so it was kind of low key making fun of itself. A bit, yeah. just a bit, just a teensy weensy bit, or maybe I just have a sixth sense of humor. I have no idea. Um, it. <laughs> This movie was nominated for six Academy Awards, so the lowest number of nominations for the trilogy. Yep. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Art Set Direction, Best Editing, Best Sound, and it won for Best Sound Editing and Best Visual Effects, which Fellowship won for as well. Very consistent. And it's crazy to me to think about that this uh, got nominated for Best Picture. Like, I think it should, because I think these, like, elevate above being just fantasy films mm-hmm. you know i think they transcend that kind of label in the same way the dark knight kind of transcends being a comic book movie yeah absolutely um i just think it's fascinating to think about like i wish i could have been old enough to like really like understand the impact this was having on the industry at the time of course i mean this is this was changing everything you, you know, we were we were a little too young to really understand that. I mean, I was in high school. You were what? Middle school? Uh, Yeah, it'd be like early middle school, I think, whenever these were coming out. Yeah. So, I mean, time is meaningless to me. I have no idea. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to understand, um, you know the true impact. But now as we've gotten older, you can definitely movie cinema changed. After Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, we can definitely say that Peter Jackson had an impact on Hollywood. We can definitely say that the Lord of the Rings trilogy had an impact 
on Hollywood. So I, you actually got me wondering. So it was nominated in 2003 for Best Picture. So now I didn't do this beforehand. I'm looking up the nominees that it was. Yeah, what was it running against? Yeah, what was it running against? So like, what was it up against that they thought that this was a contender for Best Picture? So Best Picture nominees... 2003. All right. So these were the pictures. Oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers was one. The Pianist was another oh. one. Gangs of New York, <clears throat> The Hours, and Chicago. Wow. What a list. I mean, it was it was going up against some pretty heavy hitters. That was. I'm I'm actually kind of like surprised. Um, I'm so. I kind of already forgot who actually won that year. I think Chicago did. I think the Pete was it Chicago or yeah Chicago won Chicago won so uh, Chicago won Best Picture yeah, but that's that's a heavy hitting list. Wow, Mm -hmm. I'm that's that's shocking. I mean, the two towers is definitely my favorite movie of that list. <laughs> oh, see now that's where you and I are going to differ. Ah, uh, you're a Chicago boy. I am a Chicago boy. I love. Th- yeah. I I have that entire soundtrack memorized. I I don't know what that says about me, but I do. Um, <laughs> I love musicals. What can I say? You know, you, I, I love horror movies. I, I actually I love all movies, but musicals always have a special place in my heart. And Chicago is just it's right there. Um, I don't like Gangs of New York. I thought it was boring. It's, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, it's like, yeah, it's fine. The Hours was extremely boring. <laughs> and The Pianist was just depressing. I really like The Pianist. It, it's a good movie. And uh, Adrian, Brody Adrian won the Brody Oscar won, for that year yeah. for that role. But, I mean, mm-hmm. it's such a depressing movie. Like, my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's like, a, let, let me sit down and do emotional violence to myself for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, out of the six uh, Academy Awards, it won for Best Sound Editing, Best Visual Effects. And I also thought it was kind of weird. It it was nominated for Best Sound, but didn't win for that. And it was nominated for Best Sound Editing, and it won for that. I have no idea what differentiates those two things. I honestly couldn't tell you. So best sound means, you know, you've got all the nice, um, crisp, clean sound. You know, you don't have all that background. You don't have all that nonsense and things like that. And sound editing means you've got good matchup throughout the entire movie. Everything is everything is synchronized properly. I, I'm just bullshitting you i have absolutely no idea <laughs> what the criteria are for these two i was like oh really that seems like really people arbitrary. are people That's are eating this so- up like fucking candy right now and they're like oh wow chuck knows what he's talking about no i know nothing <laughs> no idea i stopped watching the academy awards like three years ago because they pissed me off they became yeah, too political pretty much um so i have no idea what the difference is between those two i just thought it was kind of weird like how do you win for one but not win for the other because it seemed like those two would go hand in hand but Exactly. I don't know. Uh, which brings us to our very first uh, criteria of our discussion. How did this movie impact or influence your life? Impact your life or influence your love of other movies? If it did either of those two. And I understand that's a hard question to ask about this movie, considering it's linked to two other movies. Yeah. 
So does your answer from the first one change? Is it slightly different? Uh, well, no, we'll just keep that as like a general like baseline for like the trilogy. That answer, I will say though that like it was great, like because like I said last time, I had zero idea what I was going to see. Mm-hmm. The first time I went to go see the Fellowship of the Ring, by the time I went to go see the Two Towers, I was well into the Two Towers book. Yeah, um, like I was full on Lord of the Rings is like awesome. Not my favorite yet, as as of going to see this in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite my favorite. Still a Star Wars guy at that point. Um, Ooh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Sorry, sorry. What's I did. I did the navy. Right I, did, I did the navy cry. Who yeah? Sorry. Uh, I know. It's just like it started to devolve for a second there. I was like, wait, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Continue. <laughs> we uh, uh, yeah, like it was. It was great getting to go into this, and it was kind of like this was like my empire strikes back. Like when you hear people mm-hmm. talk about going to see empire in theaters, um, which that's like one of two movies. If I could travel back in time and see with an audience for the first time, it's like that and the exorcist mm-hmm. are, are the things I would love to go into a theater with a fresh audience with. But that's what this was like for me, where it's like, this is brand new. I hadn't finished the book yet. So I still have no idea how any of this ends. Um, and uh, it was like maybe the most entertaining movie going experience. I'll say entertaining um, because there there are some like really emotional beats in this film that we will get to, but it doesn't hold a candle to the ending of Return of the King. Oh, absolutely! A hundred people in the theater just sob festing it up. The begins uh, of Gondor are lit, and Rohan will answer. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. People literally clapping. Yes, I mean, I, I, I think I clapped. But, but I, I don't mean, remember. Speaking of, like, this is the first. Actually, uh, speaking of that, this is the first time I remember seeing people clap in a theater. Uh, whenever Gandalf uh, shows up with the Rohirrim. Oh yes. At the end. Oh yes. It's, I mean, just standing ovation, seeing a full theater of people be so affected by something like that. It was. A wonderful, wonderful movie-going experience to be to be that young, getting to experience it, but still, like you know, not so young that I can't remember. Yeah, it just washes over you. So it's funny you actually mentioned that. It really is because um, there's another uh, there's a, an account on Instagram mm-hmm. that I follow. They're called Cinematology, and they put a question out on their story today. You know, what was your best movie-going experience? And people were putting all sorts of wonderful answers out there. I wish I could have experienced those movies, too. I think somebody did say The Exorcist. Uh, somebody said yeah. Alien, which I would have also loved oh, to. Man. Uh, Scream is one of my top favorite experiences because I got to see it when they re-released it in theaters. And oh, oh, I love it. But my answer was, I said, the best movie-going experience I ever had was Star Wars Episode Seven? Despite your feelings of that movie, the energy yeah. in that theater, the energy when the opening title started playing, people oh, were dude. like, there was a mixture of Losing crying, it. there was clapping, mm-hmm. the just the amount of energy. And even if you walked out of that movie hating the movie, you could not hate the experience out of that. That is one of those memories that I hope lives with me for the rest of my entire life. 
that movie going experience. I had my buddy Dan on one side, I had my wife on the other side, and we were just having an absolute blast. Shout out to you, Dan. It was so much fun. And movie going experiences are, I think the experience is what makes going to the movies worth going to the movies. So mm-hmm. this would have been a, this was a great one to experience in theaters. I did do go see it in theaters. I saw it with my dad and my mom. Um, Empire Strikes Back, this, even if it's not my favorite of the Star Wars, that, you know, that's, it's still a fantastic Dude, movie, imagine- but I would have loved to have been there because people were so into episode four, you know, the original Star Wars. Imagine that feeling going into Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Well, think about the idea of getting to be in an audience who doesn't, has never heard the line, no, I am your father. That's never been said before. Oh, my God. And, you know, I, and you're in a crowd that gets hit with that. I want to hear the gas. <laughs> I want to hear. Exactly. I, just, like, I want to hear the reaction to oh, that. Oh, man. You're right. If I could have a time machine, I wouldn't go. I've I'm, never been in. Go. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, no, I was yeah, we're so excited. It's such because like I've never I've never been in a theater for a twist that good. Oh my god. Never. No. There, I can't think of anything where you're just like shit, did not see that coming. Yeah, like just completely bowls you over, recontextualizes two whole movies, entire character arcs like changes the game. Yeah. At the end, like there's nothing I've ever seen that is that good in theater. The closest I would possibly have to say I came to that would have to be here in Two Towers. Again, not having read the books, you know, at the time that I watched the movies, when Gandalf returns, I'm just like, uh, what? <laughs> I remember hitting my dad like, he's back, he's back. And he's, he's like, back. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, but that doesn't even begin to compare to the reveal that Darth Vader is actually Anakin Skywalker and just like, oh, oh. my God. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I agree with everything that you said right there. And my answer is pretty much in line with that as well. You know, um, nothing really has changed from the fellowship. This movie solidified everything I said uh, in the fellowship, plus maybe a little bit more. I will say yeah. that it did get me excited to see uh, certain actors. So I, this is probably my first real introduction to Carl urban who oh. fantastic actor. I love almost everything he's in. I love him as bones in the new star Trek series. Please yes. give us a new star Trek movie. Paramount, please. Pretty please. Nah. They're doing their Star Trek Discovery STD on. <laughs> I want a new movie. I mean, that it's a wonderful cast. I love those movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like them, even though Into Darkness is basically Rathacon remade. I like those movies. Um, Honestly, like the third one the best because it's the most like a Star Trek. I love movie. the third one, and that's the one that's like least critically received, and I don't know why. I think because it's the most Star Trek. Yeah, I mean, uh, granted, I, think I mean, the why. first one I saw in theaters like five times. I love that movie to death. Yeah, uh, it was the first. Um, it was the first uh, 4K disc I ever bought when I got a 4K player. Ah. I'm like, this is the movie I want in 4K. This is the one I want to watch in 4K. Um, but you know, it got me excited to. Uh, you know, watch more movies or more things with Carl Urban in it. And it also got me excited about Miranda Otto. You know, I I think she's a fantastic actress. And I love watching her in the now canceled um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. 
Oh, she in that? She's in that. She plays one of the ants. I've not watched that. So. You should give it a try. You, you. All right. So I, I remember when that show first came out. Uh, American Horror Story. What season were they on? They were on season. It was a while ago. Um, season eight, I think they were on. Season seven, season eight. I don't remember which one. It was the one where uh, they were introduced. They were kind of going back in time and finally showing you how all the seasons are interconnected with each other. Uh, and uh, it had to do a lot to do with the devil and things like that. <laughs> I remember turning to my wife as like, I feel really weird because two of my favorite shows that I'm watching right now have to deal with uh, demonology, the devil, um, Satanism. <laughs> You know, the Church of Satan and stuff yeah. like that. I, I like I, I actually feel kind of weird. I feel like I'm going to be answering for this uh, later on in life <laughs> being like, why were you watching these shows and why were you enjoying them so much? Um, but uh, no, she, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, it's uh, very much uh, it's not your uh, Sabrina, the teenage witch from with Melissa no. Joan Hart. It is darker. It is grittier. It's. Fantastic. I love it. I'm so sad that Netflix canceled it. But Miranda is Otto is in that. Is it in any way connected to Riverdale? It is. It takes place in the okay. same uh, universe as Riverdale, but the two never actually... So you'll hear references yeah. to Riverdale all the time, but you won't get any actual actors from Riverdale because it's two separate studios and stuff like that yeah. handling it. But you'll hear them refer to Riverdale all the time because I That's mean, the, it's all based off the Archie comics. So. Like, here's the thing. I'll be honest. Riverdale is my guilty pleasure television show. Like, it is straight trash. I like Riverdale a lot. <laughs> can, I, can I be honest, too? Minus the second season, which I was not a fan of. Uh, or no, not the second season. The third season, which I was not a fan of. I love Riverdale. It's like, I don't know what it is about that show, but I'm just like, I can't. I just want to watch. I want to watch more of it because it's. It, it's it, garbage. The entire time, I'm like, this is so bad. Why am I watching this? this? Terrible. It's garbage. But I can't stop. <laughs> that first season, I just ate it up like it was damn candy. I was I was so hooked. And I was, you know, it's got such a terrific cast in it. You know, you had um, you had Luke Perry in it. May he rest in peace. Uh, you had um, yeah. Ski Ulrich in it. Uh, you know, so yeah. I mean, being a big fan of Scream, I was so excited yep. to see him in it. It's it's a fantastic cast and just great stories. I love the whole murder mystery of the season one. It was so like this is not the Archie comics that our parents grew up with. I love this. You know, I think it's like filling that void because there's no more Twin Peaks and it's trying to be a little bit Twin Peaks, mm. like a tiny little bit. Mm. It's even got some cast members from Twin Peaks in it. Mm. Um, okay. so I think maybe that's why I like it, but that is neither here nor there. Yeah. Sorry. Tangent. We've gone on a lot of tangents and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, like I said, uh, Carl Urban, Miranda Otto, I'm so excited. I get excited anytime I see those two names pop up on anything. Um, although I, I have to admit, I've only seen the first episode of the boys. So I really, <gasps> I really need to get caught up on this. Dude, <laughs> that is, that is the, so like current entertainment things that is my favorite thing right now i need to like, get caught things up. that are currently being made the boys is like i was talking about you know like oh, i have to wait week to week the boys is something i was willing to wait week to week for it is so good well I'll, i i will i will try to get caught up as soon as i uh, excuse me possibly can um i'm kind of trying to get caught up on something else right now so we'll drop it the boys is better <laughs> All right, know, if you say so. <laughs> I don't know what you're what you're referencing, but I don't care. 
Um, I'm, I'm actually trying. Uh, so I've got one episode of WandaVision that I got to get caught up on. Oh, that's right. Yep. Uh, and uh, I'm actually behind on The Mandalorian. So I promised uh, a friend oh, of mine that I yeah. would uh, get caught okay. up on that first uh, so we could finally talk about it. And then I'll add the boys. Um, okay. To the list. I, mean, I think the boys is. I think the boys is better than both. Of them. Are, are, are you trying to say the boys is better than Star Wars? Is that what you're saying, yeah. Stephen? I, I am saying that. Yes, I think it's way better because it actively makes fun of uh, the superhero industry in Hollywood. Fair enough. I kind of got that from the first Correct. episode, but fair enough. Oh, it goes so hard. Like into, I think that at one point they referenced Joss Whedon rewriting a script. Oh, for the movie. Oh, oh. like yes, they're very like <laughs> making fun of current superhero things happening. All right, so Justin, if you're listening to this, this is probably the part where you're gonna want to you know, like hit mute or something like that, so you don't, or you know, <laughs> turn down the volume so you don't have to hear. Um, so Joss Whedon. I was reading, uh, Justin posted an article on Facebook today about, or he posted something about uh, Joss Whedon and, uh, you know, his involvement with uh, Justice League. And you're like, everybody wants to blame Joss Whedon for how Justice League turned out, you know, blah, 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 blah. He was just coming in to try to fix the movie. And I'm, yeah, I 100% disagree with this. Joss Whedon didn't come in to try to fix anything. Joss Whedon tried to come in and make his own movie built off of what Zack Snyder had already established, and guess what? They are two different filmmakers. They are two different idealists, and they had two different visions. Yeah, which is I why think, Zack yeah, Snyder's cut is going to be. I'm hoping, I'm almost willing to bet, way better than what we got. It's going to be four. It's going to be four hours long and rated R. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fantastic, and we are going to finally Snyder sit there and cut. yeah, Snyder cut. I I don't ride hard <laughs> for Zack Snyder. I don't like a lot of his movies. 300 is probably my favorite of all of all of his movies. But I, I I hold hope that he had this grand vision for what Justice League was supposed to look like. And Joss Whedon screwed it. I mean, I think it's a combination of Joss Whedon and Warner Brothers. Oh, like they're both yeah, you know, like, trying to, you know, it was a bad storm of everybody, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of really a bad situation made worse mm-hmm. by studio involvement but anyway yeah absolutely so uh justin uh at this point i'll send you a text message with the timestamp. you can turn your volume back up. <laughs> yeah you can uh, start listening now. you can start listening now uh so that brings us to the cast so we had such a wonderful cast that was introduced mm-hmm. during the fellowship of the ring and a lot of that has carried over into this movie so i really only want to talk about the new cast members that were introduced yes. throughout this movie beginning with the infamous Brad Dwarf. Oh, Chucky. what a wonderful, wonderful actor. Yes. Um, just fantastic. He is so he has perfected creepy, thrilling, horrific, yet intriguing. You mm. he doesn't pop up on a screen and you think, oh, my God, I don't mm. want to watch this. Have you ever seen The Exorcist 3? I can safely say that I have not. Okay. The Exorcist 2 and 4 and 5 are garbage. Straight garbage. The Exorcist 3 is my favorite Exorcist movie. Okay. 
And Brad Dorf has a scene that I my mouth was agape the entire time with how good his performance was. Good word. He has like like I could not believe what I was watching and that it had been so long. Like never hearing of his performance in The Exorcist Three. It's like one of my favorite like speeches of all time in a movie is given by him in The Exorcist Three. Oh no! Oh. It's incredible now you've got me all tingly and i need to watch exorcist yes. 3 but then you it's been so long since it. i've watched exorcist at all so now i need to you don't start need to watch with number one. one i mean you can but it's they're so like they are connected but they're Separate. not like yeah it's it is doing its own thing okay so okay fair enough um yeah but he's brilliant. But yeah, Brad Dorf is great. He's incredible. Brilliant. Absolutely. And he does a wonderful worm tongue. Oh, absolutely. Like he is, I was, again, like I actually forgot he was in the movie when I started to rewatch it again. I was like, oh yeah, freaking Brad Dorf's going to show up and be the best part of this scene. And he was. Great. He stole every <laughs> scene that he was in. Seriously. I mean, he's in scenes absolutely. with... Many would say, you know, highly higher rated actors. I mean, he's in, he's sharing oh. scenes with Christopher Lee. He's sharing scenes with um, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen. Uh, Bernard yeah. uh, Hill mm-hmm. as King Theoden. These are established, mm-hmm. high ranking actors, and here's Brad Dorf, and he just he kills it. He steals it. Anytime the camera is on him, that's all you want to watch. That's literally got- all you want to watch. He's got two really like some of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's not, you know, we'll pick our favorite moments yeah. that's later, but <laughs> these are separate from that. Um, is whenever he's talking to Eowyn, mm-hmm. uh, and he's like got this really creepy speech, yes. which is actually like taken from Gandalf has that speech in the books. It's under a different context. Mm-hmm. Um but it's I I think it's so fascinating that they took dialogue from Gandalf, gave it to Brad Dorf, and he just makes it sound so conniving and disgusting whenever he's talking to her. Yeah, um, he's like, you know, who knows the things that you've whispered to the dark and things like that. And it's oh, it's so creepy. The second moment I really love, and it's more of an interaction between him and uh, Christopher Lee Saruman, um, is whenever he goes back to uh isengard Mm -hmm. and he's talking to him he's like they will have women and children and then saruman's like oh (laughs) they're like both so evil that they're like super pumped to just murder some women and children (laughs) like like that's the thing that gets saruman like oh okay they got some kids there we could kill okay oh oh, yes yes well those are just two really fun villainous moments that you like oh we got to do this need a moment alone (laughs) i need my alone time (laughs) um he was no 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 it's quite all right i i had this idea in my head that i wanted to say something about him but you 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 did a fantastic job uh derailing me there with such brilliant ideas um but i found it again so brad dorf yay it was so convincing with his English accent that Bernard Hill, King Theoden, when listening to Brad Dorf talk in his native American accent, was convinced that Brad was actually British and he was faking his American accent for everybody. Yep. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know 
that convincing, but okay. Still good. Yeah, it's still fun to listen to him. Absolutely. That's like some Gary Oldman levels of like disappearing into a character. Because I think Gary Oldman had to relearn how to speak with his accent. Because he spent so much time as different characters not speaking with his accent. I I, I could actually see that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I've, I sit here and I try to perfect my English accent. It sounds so great in my head, but when I try to do it out loud, it's like, oh, yeah. it sounds awful. It sounds awful. Yeah. Um, well, we, we've spent so much time talking about him and might as well bring him up next. Bernard uh, Hill as King Theoden. Yep. Great. Absolutely. Fantastic. Great. But people might remember him from another role. Think about it. Hmm. He liked to drink tea. He was out in the ocean. He hit an iceberg. Oh my God. I've never put that together. He was the captain of the Titanic. Captain in Titanic. Yes. I never put that together. He is the captain uh, of the Titanic. I'll be honest. The last time I saw Titanic was when they uh, released it in 3D in theaters. So. Oh God. I bet that was awful, wasn't it? honestly i was ready to go in and kind of crap on that movie and it's not the best like the characters say each other's names far too much during the climax (laughs) if you watch on the boat is thinking rose rose they don't ever stop saying each other's name and it's so annoying i'll never let go Um, jack i'll never let go get the fuck off me here's so here's the thing everyone like i myself make fun of that ending scene a lot Man, when you're in the theater and that music hits and he doesn't respond, dude, <laughs> I'm not, I, I can't lie. Sorry. There was a tear oh, that sure. rolled down my face. I was so angry that the movie got to me that I was like, no, <laughs> this is garbage. This movie sucks, but it doesn't. It turns out it's a little bit better than I remembered it being. You know, my mom took me to see that movie when it first came out back in 1996. Really? Yes. You know, strangely enough, my mom was really protective about the type of stuff that I saw. But for some reason, she let me go with her to go see this movie. And, you know, she held her arm over my eyes during the one scene, blah, 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 blah. Only to make it more awkward. Yeah, right? Um, (laughs) I remember crying at that scene when, you know, she realizes Jack is dead and she lets go of him and stuff like that. But, you know, and I love the fact that... um, People have actually studied this, and they have done experiments. They both could have floated on that thing. Oh, one hundred percent. They one hundred percent. So she killed. Yeah, Jack. I would. I would. She was a selfish she, bitch. She did. Yep. But I love uh, Emily Blunt. Is that her name? Is that Kate Winslet? <laughs> Kate Winslet. I get those two mixed up so much. So never mind. I'm thinking of Emily Blunt. Uh, Emily Blunt's fine. Yes. Winslet. Okay, but. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Oh God! Look, I'm drinking some pale ale over here. Ooh, okay. what kind of pale ale? Uh, this is. I picked it up from the store yesterday. What is this called? Let me find it here. Uh, Einstock. Uh, Olg. I don't know how to say this. Olgird. It's an Icelandic white ale, and it's very tasty. Oh, who brews it? Uh, that's a great question. You know, is it like? Is that like a Florida local or something? I don't think it's a Florida local. There's a l- brewed by Einstock Olgerd if Ecker. It's in Iceland. I don't know. How to say <laughs> okay. All right. I won't force you to speak Icelandic. Okay. <laughs> that evolved so quickly. Wow. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it's Icelandic. I don't know. It's okay. So, all right, <laughs> it's so, very good. Though. Yes, it actually sounds good, and I'm very intrigued. You're gonna have to send me a picture or something. Um, I will. I will do that. But anyway, but yeah. yeah so, so Kate never mind. But yeah, <laughs> Kate Winslet. She's the worst. Elizabeth or what? Whoever I said before, I don't remember now. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on. All right. Bye bye, Bernard Hill. Bye bye. Uh, he goes down with the ship and Titanic. Everybody. Um. The next one on the list is spoilers. <laughs> a captain always goes down with their ship. So the next per <laughs> damn the next person on the list is Miranda Otto. So uh, she plays Eowyn, yes. and I love her in this film. Uh, so it's great. We all know how I feel about Liv Tyler from the first one. You know, I'm not a Liv Tyler fan. She does a good job as Arwen and stuff like that. But I really loved having this other female um, character in here and i really feel like miranda otto stands her own and she does such a fantastic job they kind of i'm not going to say sideline her in this movie but they kind of play her off as you know you know oh she's just a woman blah 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 blah, blah. a potential a potential uh, love triangle between yeah her aragorn and eowyn mm-hmm. or not eowyn arwen and things like that that you which i'm really i'm glad they don't go all the way with that. i was kind of afraid that they would but, push that i'm like oh no but do you like what they did i do i i absolutely love what they want to do like her care so she i feel like she especially feels sidelined if you're watching the theatrical cut true um, she gets way more to do in this extended edition very true um, and you actually get to see you get to see that like the connection that her and aragorn have is like Sure. Are they? Do they find each other attractive? Maybe, but like, I feel like there's more respect built, mm-hmm. and it's a more of a respect based thing. Like he's like really impressed with her uh, drive, not just her prowess. Like he right, he, he recognizes that she can fight, but it's more that I think he he's inspired by her drive to fight uh, in the face of uh, seemingly inevitable death. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, in the extended cut, we also get, you know, I like the little character moments that they have together. It doesn't feel like they're like, yes, potentially a quote unquote love triangle, but like it never even comes close to a Twilight or Hunger Games oh, yeah. kind of garbagey thing. <laughs> nice references. Um, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that 100%. I mean, it it, uh, it almost feels natural in a way, you know. Yes, yes he's very he's, organic. He's very bound to Arwen. He loves Arwen. And there's nothing that's going to break that bond, that connection or anything like that. But when you're faced with like the only other uh, well, I guess quote unquote not to be superficial, you know, attractive woman there's going to be a little sense of kind of a little flirtatious going back and forth and stuff like that and it's fine um they 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 kind of hint at it but they don't push it or anything like that and then i don't know it it, like you said it felt very organic and you can appreciate it so but uh, as for her character itself i i love her character the fact that she stands up yes to worm tongue you know the the fact that she defends the king in a and she knows she knows something's off with the king and instead of just falling in line and doing what everybody else is doing it's like oh that you know yeah the king's not in his right mind but hey you know so what she's questioning she's pushing the entire time she wants to know why she's being resigned to the bowels of helm's deep 
while a battle's mm-hmm. going on and stuff like that. She's got that drive, which is why what happens to her in Return of the King happens. And yep. I love that. I love that whole sequence. It's a great character arc and for her. Miranda Otto just manages to capture all that emotion and she uses it very well. So I'm very, I'm very happy with her as an actress. Agreed. Uh, so yeah, that brings us, uh, you know, again, wonderful Miranda Otto. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I love watching her and everything. So the next person on the list is the wonderful Carl Urban. Uh, I mean, okay. So we alluded to this. I'm going to let you go ahead. Because I have I have plenty of words to spill about Carl Urban, but I, I will save my piece. All right, I've only got a few words to say. Uh, okay. Star Trek. Yep. Red. Oh, that's right. I forgot he was in that. Yes. Uh mm. and uh, the boys. I mean, I've only seen the one episode of it, so I'm assuming, according to you, you know, it's fantastic and stuff like Billy that. Butcher. Billy Butcher. Like, the the idea that like the main quote unquote hero and the main quote unquote villain of that I mean not quote unquote the Homelander is a terrible terrible person um, yeah but like They're neither one of them are very good people yeah that's the thing there are zero good people in that show zero. like uh, what's the what's the what's the character's name um that what's is it Chase Crawford plays uh and he uh, like have something to do with I don't know is he like the water one. Like the aqua, the quote unquote Aquaman. Oh, he's the the deep. Sorry, the deep. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you knew oh, he was sleazy when they were trying to, when he was trying to indoctrinate the the new superhero, and he basically drops trow and like, hey, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Somehow worse. It's actually worse in the comics. If oh wow! You could believe it. Oh my god. Yeah, it's way worse. Anyway, so uh, you share your words about Carl Urban. Uh, yeah, Billy, fucking diabolical butcher like that <laughs> dude like okay so i've always loved carl urban like from the two ta- like he was the like spoilers for later in the episode this is the standout role for me is aomer like as soon as that dude came on screen i'm like that guy this guy that guy's cool he's the new cool boy like aragorn was the cool boy this is the new cool boy <laughs> 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 I don't know what it is. Like, there's something about like his like. I feel like he's such an underrated actor, and I feel like he hasn't gotten a role to really sink his teeth into for a long, like a long term kind of uh, deal. Bones until he got to the boys. I mean, so Bones he gets three movies and he's great. He's I he's my favorite part. He's my favorite character in those movies. Absolutely. Him and Zachary Quinto as Spock. Like, they're spectacular. Um, but I feel like he still just doesn't get to do enough in those. And obviously, they're not going to make any more. Um, At this point. Yeah, that's it's been so long now. Uh, Dread. He's Ooh, I forgot about incredible that in Dread. Yeah. Yes, he is absolutely spectacular as Judge Dread, which made me want him to play Batman, actually. Like, I'm a big Ben Affleck fan. But I was kind of championing for Ooh, Carl Urban to be Batman. Um, I think okay. he would be great as that. Uh, also, bad guy in the Bourne Supremacy. Yes, absolutely. The other agent that uh, that's chasing him around. He's very scary in that movie. Or shall we go Marvel? Absolutely. 
we hinted at this last episode. He's uh, God. What is his character's name though? In Ragnarok, I can't, I can't remember, remember what his character's name is. God in dang it! Because <laughs> he's such a doof, and he's so, but he plays it so well. He's got his two like machine, fully automatic machine guns. <laughs> well, you continue, and I'm going to look this up. Yes, but I mean, like, it's just like I feel like he's one of those actors that everything he does, he does to his fullest ability. And he's like, you don't ever really hear him talked about like in the, in you know, the greats, I guess. I mean, some people, you know, there are a small amount of dread fans out there that really push for more dread movies with him in there. Um, but yeah, like the boys, if for nothing else, I love that show because it's giving Carl Urban a chance to really just shine and do his thing every episode. Yeah. Like every time he's on screen in the boys, great things are happening. Uh, his uh, name in Ragnarok is Scourge. That's right. Such an easy right. name to remember. I'm surprised we both couldn't think of it. Yep. Um. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, that's it. I was, you know, that's, I could uh, talk ad nauseum about how much I love Carl Urban. Um, there was another movie he was in. I got to look it up real quick. Uh, Two Towers, you know, was like the big introduction mm -hmm. for Carl Urban for me. But there was another movie that I remember him in. I just can't think of the name of it right now that I absolutely love. But uh, to kind of go back on what you said about Dread, you know, so Dread from 2012, the remake. I think the thing that ruined that movie was actually the villain of the movie, Lena Headley. Really? I thought she was actually a good villain. I got bored with her very easily. Hmm. Okay. But that was... I guess that's just me. I uh, know I could see that. I mean, she's a uh, kind of a stock standard mm -hmm. comic book villain. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, Ghost Ship. That's what it was. Ghost Ship. Oh, my God. That's right. He is in Ghost Ship. I love that movie. <laughs> I was like, I, I was imagining totally it. I was like, water, that. boat, ship. I just couldn't. I could not. I completely like, put, forgot he was in Put that. a name to it. So that came out the same year as actually the Two Towers. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Isn't it? I could have sworn that was earlier. That's weird because I remember watching that a lot on VHS as a kid. Yes, definitely. But no, that came out the same exact year. He was also in the Chronicles of Riddick too, but not a good movie. So, uh, oh yeah, uh, oh, I am a big fan of the Chronicles of Riddick. Jeff. Wait, are you a big fan of that movie, or are you I'm a, a big, big fan, fan of, of that movie? Like, I'm also I a like fan Pitch of the franchise. Black. But I, I like, like all three of them. Uh, okay. I'm that all guy. Right. Right, I like my right. schlock sometimes. It's schlock. It's not good, but I like those movies. Okay. I forgot he was in that too. That's yeah, right. Don't forget yeah. Doom. <sighs> I try to. Again, best. <laughs> he is the absolute best part. As a as an avid like Doom video game fan, yeah. I love Doom. <sighs> that movie's really just like embarrassing <laughs> to, to have the doom name on it yeah it's like, ah. he's the best part though it's the best part of the movie other than that no oh my god all right so just scrolling through his list of stuff guess what he uh, has an uncredited role in uh i don't know star wars episode nine the rise of skywalker he right. was a stormtrooper and yep I had read about that. Yeah, oh, I, didn't uh, I think him and Tom Hardy. I think had a. I think Tom Hardy had a cut scene 
I believe. That was in episode How eight. How would you cut? That was in episode eight. How do you cut Tom Hardy? I'm sorry. You should you should look you, up the Tom Hardy scene. You should it's never ridiculous. cut Tom Hardy from a movie. Ever. Tom Hardy. I ride hard for Tom Hardy. He's awesome. Tom Hardy, I believe, is a stormtrooper. I believe he is the plays the stormtrooper in the cut scene in episode eight where he uh Do you actually see with him? Finn? No, he's he's got his helmet on, but you hear him talk. He's talking to Finn, mm-hmm. uh, and when Finn's like dressed up as a captain because they're infiltrating the oh, uh, dreadnought. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's like, "Oh, I never would have imagined you." For he recognizes Finn, but he just thinks he got a promotion. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh man, never would have uh, pictured you for uh, whatever uh, promotion." Blah blah blah. And then he like smacks his butt in the elevator. <laughs> what? It's a we- it is a weird scene, dude. Oh my god, it's is this on YouTube? Weird. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, well, that's I where I saw it this. anyway. It's kind of like Daniel Craig is a stormtrooper in the uh, episode seven. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to go look that up. That's awesome. It's but pretty good. I did, but I did not know that Carl Urban had that uncredited role. Yeah, I had read. I had because like someone made a joke like, "Oh, Don Hickmanigan is not the only Lord of the Rings actor in episode nine was like a headline I'd read somewhere, uh, so I clicked on the article, and very nice. that's where I had read that. Very nice. Uh, the next person on the list, David Wenham as Faramir. Again, I, I hate saying this over and over again. I feel like I'm just a broken record. They are great, and it's like another standout role. Oh, yeah, absolutely <laughs> like, fantastic. Everyone role. just brings their A game to, this, to these movies. It's hard to just like keep saying over and over again, man, they're great. They're great. They're awesome. But Faramir is so great. He's fantastic. But, you know, quite honestly, I can't think of anything else I've ever seen the guy in. 300. Oh, shut the front door. Ah, yeah. I completely forgot about that. That's the only other thing I can think Van of. Van Helsing but in 2004, but that was not a good movie. That's right. He plays the friar. I totally forgot about that. He's got 91 acting credits to his name. What the hell? Woo. What the deuce? Um, what the deuce? Yeah, I don't recognize half the stuff anyway. Oh, he was in he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. That was the last one. They I did. have not seen that one. Uh, so. Don't watch it. It's not good. I won't. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Orlando Bloom looks awful in it, by the way. Just saying. They did not. They I tried to age him, him but he like, didn't age very well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't recognize half of this stuff. Oh, he was also in a flashback scene of 300 Rise of an Empire. Um, uh, sure, yeah. Sure, sure. Oh, my God. I completely forgot about 300. I feel like a mm-hmm. moron. What? His abs are so distracting. Uh, very distracting. All, all those abs. Three hundred made you want to go and work out. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Which <laughs> reminds me. So tangent time again. Yay! I was in the. Don't act so about. I it. was. That was genuine. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like a yay. Oh my god, he's going to talk uh. again. Uh, what can I think about while he's talking? Um, so we were in the Philippines, and uh, when the first Thor movie came out, and we all went to go see it, and I thought it was so awesome. Well, if you've ever been to the Philippines, those taxi cab drivers are the scariest mofos out there. So I remember 
like saying like saying a prayer like god if you let me live i will look like freaking chris hemsworth by the time this deployment's over <laughs> uh, he let me live and i did not fulfill my end of the promise uh, yeah so. he's uh, he got that uh you better get working on I, that i'm more else. i'm more like fat thor from you know infinity war <laughs> yeah exactly you were playing the long game <laughs> i'm playing the long game. waiting you're waiting for chris hemsworth to get to your level yeah really like as soon as he as soon as he made his appearance um not in Infinity War. In Endgame, you're just like, oh yeah, that's that's the Thor I am. Okay, I did, yes. I did it. I did it. But yes, uh, David Winham as Farmer, fantastic. He has uh, actually he's in one of my favorite. Uh, is he in one of my favorite scenes or one of my favorite lines? I can't remember, but he's part of something. Mm. So, even though this is in the extended edition. I want to go ahead and make mention of yep. it now because he wasn't in the theatrical release. I want to talk about John Noble playing Denethor. Yes. Yep. We so need to talk about that. Donath- uh, Donathor. Denethor <laughs> is Bormir and Faramir's father. He is the steward of Gondor, and he's in a fantastic, a wonderful scene uh, in the extended edition where they uh, Faramir's doing a flashback to when Bormir's still alive, and they're, uh, they had just won back Osgiliath. And that's when we first get to meet Denethor. He comes down. He's like, where's my firstborn? Where's my savior? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, You know, that's when you really begin to hate Denethor. And you don't get to, you don't get to experience that hatred in the theatrical releases until the third movie. And it's such a shame because you, it's all, I love, that's what I love about the extended editions because now you get to build that hatred. And then when you see him in return of the King, you're like that motherfucker. Well, yeah, it's like so you you're introducing that character so that by the time you get there, it's like seeing him again is that much more potent. But also, um, it honestly like if there was one scene I was going to be like, ah, you should have left that in the theatrical cut. It's this that scene because mm-hmm. it it builds character for Boromir. You understand what's going on then. Mm-hmm. Like it completely like it adds a whole nother layer. To his character in the first movie, um, absolutely, you because realize you, what he's dealing with. Yeah, you you begin to understand him. So in the first movie, without this without this flashback scene that happened in Two Towers, in the first movie, you you have this idea of Boromir. Now mm-hmm. you get to see what has driven that idea. That wasn't one hundred percent Boromir we saw in the first movie. That was exactly. Boromir with a mixture of Denethor's manipulation. His manipulation, and he's already being um, manipulated by the ring as well. Mm-hmm. Boromir like was never strong like, enough to handle that. But and that's what's great is that you like you see a little bit in the theatrical cut, but Faramir is strong enough. Absolutely. You actually see like he is the stronger of the two sons. And I actually plan on talking about that here in a little bit, so I'm definitely uh, glad you brought that up. So we'll, we'll save the rest of that discussion for them. <laughs> and that's all I have for new characters for Two Towers. Do you have anybody you want to add? Did I miss anybody? I, mean, I, I no, I think that's about it. We hit we hit all of the uh, major like players. The, my big thing was Theoden and Aramur. Like the those guys are and Brad Dorf. Like uh, those, we hit, those we hit are them. the pinnacles. Yeah, we're good. I do want to go on a quick tangent about uh, the cast real quick. So during the last episode. 
I talked about how Sean Astin came from an acting family and how John Astin, uh, who played uh, the original Gomez Adams in uh, the black and white Adams family TV show, was his father. Well, I sat there and I thought about it and I was like, w- I remember there being a little bit more to this. So I actually did a little bit of research and there was more to this. So allow me the opportunity to expand on this and correct this Ooh. real quick. So Sean Astin's mother was Patty Duke. Sean actually grew up. Wait, really? Yeah, that's his mom, Patty Duke. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean actually grew up thinking John Aston was his father. And his mother later admitted that Desi Arnaz Jr., the Desi Arnaz Jr., son of Desi and Lucille, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball, what? was in fact his father. Okay. So now Sean, believing this, created a relationship with Desi. Well, it actually turns out Patty Duke, between Desi Arnaz Jr. and John Aston, had married a man named Michael Tell. Very briefly, it o- the marriage only apparently lasted a few days. Well, through DNA testing, Sean was able to actually confirm that Michael Tell was his biological father. So... He grew up thinking one man was his father. Then he was told at the age of 14 that another man was his father. And then he found out that an, another man was actually his father. So in interviews, you'll actually hear Sean say to this day that John Aston was his dad. Michael Tell just happens to be his biological father. And he maintains or maintained a wonderful relationship with Desi Arnaz Jr. Oh, so I just wanted to expand on that of emotions. Bit. Yeah, that's crazy. But so the, I mainly wanted to expand on that because one, I wanted to make sure I was putting out the proper information there. Two, mm-hmm. I did say he came from an acting family. Well, that's what I mean. What he by comes from an acting family. Sean Astin, John Astin, Patty Duke, Desi Arnaz Jr. The only person who was not really an actor was this guy named uh, Michael Tell. Yeah, but I mean, he was raised by. He was raised actors. He was raised in Hollywood. He was he was raised yeah. to be an actor. So, I just, which I I mean, like he's a great success story of like a I guess a child actor who didn't totally lose it, <laughs> right? Like him and Elijah Wood, both child actors yeah. who did not yes, lose their absolutely. shit. Lindsay Lohan, why weren't you taking notes? I loved <sighs> you, Lindsay. I was obsessed with her. <laughs> what can I say? Mean Girls. Uh, I was a Hillary Duff guy. I can see that Hillary Duff. No. She's cool. No. She's cool. Yeah. She's pretty cool. Oh, anyway, so that brings us <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to our next category: favorite actor or actress in this film. I'm good. I've been talking a lot, so I'm going to allow you to go first on this one. Who is your favorite actor yeah, or actress? It's hard. I think I'm going to have to go with Carl Urban, just because he's my boy. Um, but like I said, it's like all of these characters get really they managed to give all of these characters like new and returning characters great moments um i know he's not a, a technically a new actor but we do get the new character of treebeard which can't forget because treebeard's dope but he's played by john reese davis so technically not a returning actor yeah yeah just got that up i just that just popped into my head um <clears throat> but uh yeah that's it's hard to pick Everybody has wondrous moments, um, but for me, it's Aimer. Like he's he's my boy. He's your boy. He's he's the new cool boy. He is the new cool boy. He's a, <laughs> he's a he's a fantastic cool boy. He's a cool cool boy. 
in the words of Trump, he's the greatest cool boy that ever existed. It's the greatest, cool. best, I, I, the coolest. I, 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 I've had tests done. He's the coolest of the cool. <laughs> he's the new leader of the GOP. No, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I got <laughs> Anywho, um, yeah, I, I can I can appreciate that. I love that. What? <laughs> what was your? Who was your favorite or standout? Okay, so I've got two. I know that's cheating. I'm Ooh, sorry. Cheating. Um, my, my my number one standout in this film is Andy Serkis's Gollum. All right, so I know we oh, talked God, about him in the first movie, but he only had a small voice role in that one. You didn't actually yep. get to see him play the role of Gollum. So this is. Uh, Two Towers is his true introduction. Mm-hmm. And here we finally get his performance, and it's beautiful. Not only does he provide such an iconic voice to an iconic character, he actually gives the motion to Gollum through that motion capture um, mm-hmm. technology that existed. So when we see Gollum on screen, we're seeing Andy Circus actually bending his body into these weird contortionist ways. Uh, and so like uh, Elijah Wood, uh, Sean Astin, you know, all of them, whoever had to share a scene with the character of Gollum, they weren't just staring at like a tennis ball on a stick. Like you would see yeah. in a lot of these uh, movies where they mix animation and live action together. They were staring at Andy Circus in a green suit. And it makes that it makes the acting a little bit more genuine. It makes the interchange, uh, the exchanges, a lot more genuine, and it's just so much fun to see. Um, Peter Jackson actually tried to get Andy an Oscar nomination for his role as Wait. Gollum, but due to the stupid rules of the Academy, mm-hmm. he was ineligible yep. because he doesn't technically appear in the film. He is an animated character, and the Academy has yet to adopt any guidelines in the recognition of motion capture characters. This dis- Which is crazy because his performances in the Apes movies are Fantastic. as Caesar are incredible. Playing Caesar is one of his other greatest mm. achievements in his acting mm. career. He got to play Snoke in Star Wars, but who gives a damn? <sighs> who gives a damn? Ryan Johnson didn't give a damn. He killed the guy. Spoiler. <sighs> <laughs> But, you know, as far as the motion capture characters go, this dispute remains that there's not a conclusive way to show how much of the final product is an actor versus editing slash animation. But with motion capture becoming a lot more common and prevalent in Hollywood, there are those who predict that the Academy will begin to recognize it and possibly even create their own category for it. Best motion capture performance. Honestly, I mean, like even Thanos, I would have given that to. Oh, I would have given it to Josh uh, Infinity Brolin. War. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Josh Brolin should have got a nod because he did a wonderful performance. That was Infinity fantastic War. casting. You know, I we always play that game where like, oh, I can't ever picture anybody else playing this role. And I'm sure, you know, if anybody else had played the role, we're like, oh, no one else could have played That's this. That's what you would say. Yeah. But Josh Brolin, fantastic. Just- so great and what was great about andy circus is that he was so relatively unknown this put him on the map mm-hmm. andy yeah. circus became a household name after playing the role which of is Gollum. crazy 
Which is crazy because of that whole like, oh, he doesn't technically appear in the film, so it doesn't count. No. It's like, yeah, that's garbage. That is garbage because that is all him. <laughs> they just happen to put an animated character over him. All that motion, I, all that talking, everything you saw on screen was Andy Circus with just an animated creature on top of it. And I think this is in between. Did the second Harry Potter movie come out um, uh, by this point? Yeah, it had already come out in November of 2002, so that was the okay. a month beforehand. Okay, so it's relatively in the same time frame. So yeah, like this is around like Jar Jar Binks and Dobby, both oh. of which I think fail as characters. Like they're just they are very you never believe they're in. I mean, some people think Dobby's the greatest. I think he's annoying, but he's, he's neither here nor annoying. there. Uh, but just uh, um, real quick on that tangent, though, though uh, Dobby, mm-hmm. they actually made him look way better in the Deathly Hallows than they did in. Yes, uh, but I mean, yes. technology had improved by then in that years in the that time span Ooh. between Chamber of Secrets and Deathly Hallows. But I know I absolutely yeah. agree. You could not connect with that character emotionally on screen because it just did not mm. look. Because right. it felt like a CGI character. Exactly. Where this doesn't. So please. Same thing with Jar Jar Binks. And half the time they weren't using a CGI character for Jar Jar Binks. It's a dude in a suit. But there's just some weird I disconnect. That. I did not know that. Yeah there's, some, yeah. there's some parts where they just had him in a suit and, and they would replace his head. Or like if you don't see his head in the shot, a lot of times it's a hand just in makeup. Um, wow. But yeah, that's you the thing. He, do, he still doesn't come across as the character though. Well, because Jar Jar um, Binks sucks. Sucks. He sucks. Yeah, he's a, uh, an essay's worth of things wrong. With Although he's a Binks, cis but, uh, ward, so you gotta appreciate nah, him. get out of here. <laughs> I hate that theory so much. Oh, how can you Every hate time that it comes it's so up, wonderful. I'm like, Stop excusing bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a crappy character. I hate him. Don't give him any validity. Uh, Sith are cool. They are cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I I think like it's in. Watching the two towers, you completely forget that he's a CGI character. That yeah. He's just a character. You completely like, I think it, a lot of it has to do with, well, they introduce him at night, which is crazy. Like that helps. That's not crazy. That helps because you have <laughs> deeper shadows. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that helps. Uh, this is like Siege Jurassic Park when they introduced the T-Rex. Uh. They did that specifically at night in the rain because they knew that that would make the CGI look the best. And that scene still holds up. Little side tangent there. I remember seeing that movie in theaters. My God. I remember bits and pieces of that movie in theaters. Oh. It's, I can't remember the entire thing. It made me so scared of dinosaurs. I was so afraid mm-hmm. a dinosaur was going to come trample like our entire house afterwards. But yep. such an iconic scene. Sorry. Continue. No, uh, yeah, no, you're right, though. It's, uh, but, you know, that's so all at Jurassic Park. They introduce him at night because it helps with the CGI. The next scene, there's broad daylight. Here you go. Here he is. And, uh, you know, here's warts and all CGI. We're just going to put this character in broad daylight with no shadows. And he works perfectly. It looks fantastic. And it and holds up, like I you think said. It's an, yeah, it holds up. It's crazy watching. Like there are some effects and shots that don't look super great. Uh, some composite shots mm-hmm. um, that you can see. I still think everything in this movie looks better than anything else that came out around that time, just because they're using miniatures. There's very little mm-hmm. CGI embellishment to areas. Um, but uh, this specifically holds up so well. Uh, and I think that, like you said, they Dobby looks leagues better 
by the end of the series. Leagues. He and actually, I think it's they because make, of what's happened. They make it look like a real, like a, a real yeah. creature. I, I'm thinking specifically of right there at the end of Deathly Hallows Part 1, where it actually, I, I mean, it, it, they very well could have been using like an actual puppet or something like that. But I mean, Maybe. they do such a fantastic job making it look like a real creature. Like, you really think that somebody was playing Dobby and got stabbed. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely. Yeah, and crazy. I think I think a lot of that has to do with um, this. I agree. You know, big influence on that. So yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, this um, this movie definitely set some sort of precedence, not uh, you know, standard for how CGI capture or uh, motion capture, I should say, Robert Zemeckis. You need mm. to be taking cues from yeah. what Peter Jackson was doing. I mean. My kids love that movie. Um, you know the uh, the Polar Express. Uh, he also Robert yeah. Zemeckis also did um, Beowulf using that same and technology. Christmas Carol and yeah, a Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey using that all that same technology. <laughs> it just did not feel right in any no, of those weird. movies. That um, the more uh, the more lifelike uh, animation becomes, or something like that, our brains have a harder time comprehending it. Or something like this. The Uncanny Valley. Yeah. So, I mean, but even just those three movies, like, so Robert Zemeckis utilized nothing but motion capture throughout those entire, uh, throughout the entire filming of those movies, and it still didn't even match what Peter Jackson could achieve. No. I honestly don't think that uh, General um, Tarkin in Rogue One looks as good as this. See, I absolutely agree with that 100%. Like... I think it's really cool that they managed to bring this character back sure. for a character who's or from a actor who's been dead for like three decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked okay, but it still didn't look natural. It wasn't bad, it wasn't bad but it yeah. still didn't feel natural. And just like uh, yeah. aging down uh, Carrie Fisher for young Princess Leia, sure. it didn't feel natural either. Whereas yeah. Gollum, you actually kind of feel this connection like, holy crap, this is a real creature. Well, and to your uh, to your friend's point, I think it's because Gollum is slightly car not cartoonish, but like he has extreme features that aren't quite human. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I think that's intentional. Yes, that definitely um, helps. So that you don't get into that uncanny valley. Like, you haven't finished The Mandalorian, so we can't talk about how they fail miserably at that in the ending of that show. <laughs> I already know how season two ends. Somebody ruined it. Uh, okay, me. well, I think they did, I think they failed miserably. They didn't and, do a good job uh, uh, aging him down. Dove headlong. It, yeah, it's it looks... It looks like a deep fake, man. It looks so bad. Well, he uh, <laughs> the actor was very happy with it because I follow his Twitter, but... Yeah, but you know, I think it it was <laughs> wildly distracting. But anyway, I think that they intentionally made his features a little extreme, mm-hmm. so that he could be more believable. Like it, your brain isn't like that's not a human face because he's you know he's this weird creature, but you believe he's there, which is what's important. Absolutely, that's that's a very excellent point. I like that. Yeah. So my second choice. <laughs> Man, 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm going to pull that card. Uh, Josh from Horror Movie Crew would probably be calling me out right now. I'm going to pull that card. I'm the creator <laughs> of the show. I can do whatever I want. Um, run amok. <laughs> run amok. Doing whatever you want. Amok, 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 uh, <laughs> Sorry, Sarah Jessica Parker from Hocus Pocus. Amok, amok, amok. Um, <laughs> the second choice for me would be uh, Bernard Hill as King Theoden. Uh, yes, you know, he gets would, to make his grand yeah. appearance at this point in the story, and he comes in with a bang. He's under the influence of Saruman. Uh, but you know, when he snaps out of it and he has to deal with his son's death and then the fall, uh, the failing of Rohan and he's got to find his strength to restore the glory of his land. It's, he's got to go through a wide range in just, Mm -hmm. in just one movie, you know, possession to grief to, uh, Dealing with everything that's happened when he was under possession to the point where he really feels like the best way to reconcile everything is to sacrifice his life. He wants to do that one final ride out of the Hornburg into the orcs because that's what it's going to take to rectify the situation. And freaking Bernard Hill nails it. Kills it. Kills Kills it. it. We see this wide range of emotion and depth from him throughout this film and unfortunately we don't get to see that same range in the next film so this oh, is his see, film I, to shine you you see it a little my bit favorite yeah one of my favorite scenes is we'll talk about it in the third movie is him well i'm uh, he's got a fantastic scene like i love the I one he right. shares with Aowen, his range but yeah. i mean you don't get to see that range that he gets to have in his this range, movie he yeah. gets to You're go right. through so many emotions so many different periods of his life in one film and he mm-hmm. he nails it and where for a lot of people that would probably be a huge stretch so this is definitely one of my profane favorite performances and yeah it's uh, that would have been my second choice is it was i was having a hard time choosing between theoden and aimer mm-hmm. um i figured you were probably gonna pick theoden so i was like ah it's okay <laughs> it means i get my carl urban love you got your carl urban love i mean i again like mm-hmm. i said i love carl urban but you know uh bernard hill just kind of pushed it think- over the edge for me you're absolutely right. Yeah, and you, I mean, just I didn't even think of it that way. The range he had to like jump, like in very quick succession. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it it they it's not like the movie's poorly paced, but relatively speaking, like you said, he's having to express these incredibly deep emotions. Yeah. In a way that sells it, but doesn't also bog the movie down. Yeah, you know, it's something like you said. The movie is not poorly paced. Okay, it's not a hundred percent poorly paced. There, were, to me, there are some parts <laughs> of this movie where I felt like, okay, uh, can we can can we pick this up just a slight bit, you know? But really, where's that at? Exactly? I'll talk about where, it later. Where's that? At? Um, oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. But well, like when it comes to the, uh, Theoden's roles, I, I it was very perfectly paced. But you know, he's also got a very He's a small piece in such a big puzzle. And like you said, he's mm-hmm. got he's got to capture all of this. And so even being a small piece, he's a very pivotal piece. And, you know, Bernard killed it. So, you know, Theoden, yep. Theoden goes down as one of my favorites of Two Towers. Solid choice. All right, let's talk about top scenes or sequences. Uh, so, do you want to do like what right. we did last time, where I read what I have, or do you want? Would you like to contribute first? 
Uh, I'm going to go first because I'm pretty sure we're going to be, I, I mean, I guess this kind of runs into quotable lines, but it's not like a line. Okay. Um, I have a couple scenes. Go ahead. Um, first is, yeah, like, I don't want to say the entire Helm's Deep battle, even though, like, <laughs> it is so, like, you want to look at a perfectly paced battle scene? I would point to that one. Okay, I'm, I'm like sorry. I sold out. I said the whole damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, at least one of us is willing to to go there, so I don't feel as bad now. But like, if I were to like, if I were to you know point to a perfectly paced battle scene in all of cinema, mm-hmm. I would point to Helm's Deep. Okay. It is so perfectly like they build it up. There's so much dread. Mm-hmm. Like once it starts to rain, and then you see the orcai coming, you could hear them. Mm-hmm. Like it, they, it's so perfect. And the elves show up, oh. and so you get a little oh, bit of hope in the face of this darkness, oh. it which just is a big change cry? from the book. Oh, a huge change! Big from the change book. from the book. Huge. Um, but a welcome one. I think it works. I think it because it's so, like you said, there's moments of levity, and you've got uh, Legolas and Gimli count had playing their game mm-hmm. back and forth. Because because this is such a dark and overwhelming thing, you ha- you can't just let it be that the entire time because people will check out. Like I would check out if if you know you need tension and release. Mm-hmm. You can't just have just tension. Like horror movies that are just tension and no release are bad. Yeah. Um. Like if you never get the payoff to a joke, it's not a funny joke. Uh, and the same thing with action. And I think this paces that absolutely perfect all the way until the end whenever Gandalf and, and the Rohirrim, the writers of Rohan show up. Um, just the entire thing is incredible. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Huh. Wholeheartedly. Um, and my other one is the, uh, like I said, this is kind of a quotable line, I guess, if we're edging into that. Um, it's, I mean, it's the scene in Osgiliath whenever um, mm-hmm. Sam and Frodo are talking, oh. and it's it's Sam's speech, dude. Like, Wait, wait, so which t- Sam's speech? <laughs> the one where he's like, um, uh, I have it here. Um, you know, it's like in the, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo. Oh, okay, okay. The ones that really matter. Yeah. That that speech, like I tweeted about this earlier, but like I'm watching it today, and, and like I'm <laughs> so ridiculous. I'm actually crying. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't handle it. It's so good. Uh, and then a freaking Grubhub order shows up. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, <laughs> to, like, clean myself up to get to the door. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, it's like I was just be, I'm sorry. I'm watching Lord of the Rings. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Yeah, nothing's wrong. It's a totally normal occurrence. That's funny. <laughs> but like that, I'm just gonna say like this is probably really boring to listen to, and I apologize. I, I have to just say the speech because it's so good. Say it. It's so good. All right. Um, it's like those great stories, Mister Frodo. The ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. 
Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those are the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know now. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back, only they didn't because they were holding on to something. And then obviously Frodo is like, what are they holding on to? What are we holding on to? And Sam says that there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. Beautiful. And it's an incredibly beautiful piece of writing. Mm. Um, And it perfectly encapsulates what, like, that is what Lord of the Rings is to me. And I talked about it, you know, last episode that it's, this story of people facing insurmountable odds and continuing to fight for the good in the face of that. Absolutely. But yeah, that's what I got. Sorry. I got a little misty eyed there. (laughs) I'm surprised I made it through. I made it through. It's okay. I was a little bit worried. I wouldn't be able to read it and actually get through. (laughs) Ah, you did a wonderful job. Beautiful. My God. All right. All right. Stop crying. There, slap myself. Okay, <clears throat> got it. Wonderful. Those are those are great offerings for scenes or sequences. I'm almost I'm almost afraid I can't top that. I'm not trying to top it, but I'm almost afraid like I can't compete with that. That's what I should actually <laughs> say. Um, those were the only ones you had, right? Yeah, that's all I had. Okay, I mean, so like you, I chose the Battle of Helm's Deep, but I actually chose the whole thing. I just it's. I love I love that whole sequence. Uh, it's such a pivotal battle. It is the pivotal battle of the movie. It's the climax, as you uh, yeah. refer to it, and it's perhaps one of the best battles in the entire trilogy. Um, actually, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make the bold statement. It is the best battle in the entire trilogy, and that's including the like over an hour of battle happening in Gondor in the next movie. Yeah. Um, so also known as the Battle of the Hornburg, this is the battle that results in the annihilation of the bulk of Saruman's forces. And what I love about this whole sequence is that it is a mixture of emotions, epic fighting, and that it results in basically Saruman defeating Saruman, which I will get to here in a moment because that happens mm. to be a key to my second favorite scene in this whole movie. Mm. Uh, it's such an emotional uh it takes such an emotional toll on you. You get to see the death of Haldir, you know, the elf played by Craig yeah. Parker from the first mm-hmm. movie. The true moment that Theoden regains his true strength as king. You, so you get to see that. And it's also the continued game slash antics of Gimli and Legolas, you know, and their you know, body count. Um, and of course, it has the overly emotional scene of Gandalf and Aramur arriving to save the day oh. at the end. So did you know, fun fact about this, in the early treatments of the Ooh. script, they had Arwen yes. arriving to lead a legion of elves in battle, but it was not well received by test audiences or uh, test uh, people, period, I guess. So she was actually removed from that sequence. They actually, I think, um, in the behind the scenes there, I don't know if they filmed any of it, but they definitely have her with some choreography on the set. Okay, so then they must have filmed um, it, so Vigo test Morton. audiences must have hated it. Yeah, like, that's like a... I, which, honestly, yeah, I don't need them in the same room. Like, the way they handle it. Yeah, um, it's fine. In the, in the finished film is, like, their connection, I think, works really well. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Uh, so that actually brings me to my second favorite scene. So returning back to mm. the whole Saruman versus Saruman the type of thing. Yeah. Let's circle back to the return of Gandalf. Yeah. So Merry and Pippin have been have taken refuge in the forest after the Rohirrim decimate the orc party that captured them at the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. They happen across a being, a person, that saves them and place them in the protection of Treebeard. So now we're going to fast forward to Aragorn, uh, Legolas, and Gimli entering the forest in search of Merry and Pippin. And during their search, they discover whom they believe to be Saruman. As they attack, they soon discover that it is in fact Saruman, but with a different form. Gandalf. <sighs> Perhaps a Saruman should... Exactly. He says, and I quote, I am Saruman. Or rather, Saruman, as he should have been. So this scene is emotional for those who thought Gandalf was lost. I mean, especially for me. Like, I'm like, oh, heck yeah, heck yeah. I'm, I don't remember standing up and clapping, but if I would have thought of it, I would have done it. Um, it's a wonderful reunion where you learn about the fate of Gandalf. I love that whole scene where he talks about how he continued to fight the Balrog, you know, on the highest peak mm -hmm. in the lowest dungeon. You know, I think I got that backwards. In the lowest dungeon on the highest peak. Um, and uh, you learn about why he gets to return as the white wizard. So I went and did a little digging. Ooh. And so why does he get to return as Saruman? Well, he is part of a race called the Istari. Mm -hmm. They arrived in Middle-earth and they were emissary, emissaries from their land. They no longer wanted to interfere directly in the affairs of Middle-earth, so the wizards were sent to help the free peoples of Middle-earth in their fight against Sauron. Uh, they were, however, forbidden to dominate the peoples of Middle-earth or match power with power, and this is where Saruman failed. So Saruman was set up as the leader yes. of the Order, and as, um, as such, he bore great responsibility in carrying out this task. So when he accumulated power for himself and attempted to dominate the peoples of Middle-earth, he was in direct opposition of his orders. Therefore, Gandalf, when he was promoted after his resurrection, because he did die in his battle with the Balrog, uh, yes. cast Saruman from the order. And he took the lead in inspiring the free peoples of um, free peoples fighting against Sauron. And in his capacity, he was fulfilling the role Saruman was sent for. And that's why he says, I am Saruman, as he should have been. So when I say Saruman defeating Saruman, Gandalf came back. He is still Gandalf, but he is now Gandalf the White. He is the yes. leader of the wizard mm -hmm. order there in middle earth and he is doing what his predecessor was unable to do so that's why we say that it's a little bit of a uh strike me down and i'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine kind of deal yes it, i feel like and it worked in his favor yeah. Yep, Saruman kind of screwed himself over by that. Because, well, you know, Saruman's so blind with power there's there's mm. absolutely no way he could have ever seen if something happened to gandalf he was so drunk and blind off of power He's like, oh, yeah, you know, if I can remove Gandalf from the situation, I'm good to go. Well, Gandalf was yeah, so not pure. thinking about what that's going to do. Yeah, yeah, Gandalf was what Saruman should have always been. And it always was, you know, so Gandalf referred to Saruman in Fellowship of the Ring as, you know, the head of their order. He's the wisest. He knows all everything. And 
while that may be true, knowledge we know from history is not always associated with wisdom. Yes. Saruman was extremely knowledgeable in the workings of Middle Earth and everything like that, but he was not a wise person. Wisdom is seeing beyond, seeing past the end of your nose. Wisdom is being able to foresee the potential in a situation. And he was unable to do that because he just saw what he wanted to see, the total and complete rule of him and Sauron. And let's say that actually played out. Do you actually think Sauron would have let him continue to have power once it came I down mean, to I mean, maybe it? in like the most superficial sense, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, Sauron like, would have considered him Eventually a it would go... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, eventually it would go sour. It would, you know, be like a Sith thing where, oh, well, I'm the underling, but I think I have the power to take overthrow you and have, a, you know, there couldn't, like, I mean, Gandalf says it to him in the first movie. There can only be one Lord of the Rings, and he does not share power. It's an interesting thing to think about. Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings is the villain of the trilogy. Yeah. Like, that's Sauron. <laughs> the Lord of the Rings is a bad guy. <laughs> but that's, you know, Gandalf just straight up says that to Saruman in the first movie, and Saruman does not care. Mm -hmm. Does not care. Absolutely. And that's his downfall. You're right. Yeah. And then my final offer for favorite scene is uh, Gollum in his struggle with himself. You know, so, leave now and yes. never come back. I can't do, oh my god. Yes. I'm going to fail when we do this meeting later. Um, <laughs> you know, leave now and never come back. You know, it's a wonderful Great little scene, scene that plays out uh, slightly humorous, but has tremendous mm -hmm. implications to the final story. You know, so, Andy circus was given a tough job to bring this character to life but as you see he is not actually playing one character he's playing two characters with two different personalities he's playing Gollum yes. and he's playing Schmeagol and there's an internal conflict happening between the two throughout this whole movie and it's fantastic to watch and it's a lot of fun to listen to which is why this is one of my actual favorite scenes when he's battling himself to banish Gollum and let Schmeagol take hold yeah, it, it. I mean, it genuinely feels like an exchange between two characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can see that it's the same person. You can hear that it's yeah, the same voice, yeah. but the inflections mm -hmm. are different, and it's just there's just enough difference to understand. You, I mean, you it, it does the, a lot of the heavy. Like you can't for these movies to work. Um, you for Frodo and Sam's side of it to work, mm -hmm. you kind of have to. You have to believe that Smeagol is good. Absolutely. Like that Smeagol is innocent and that Gollum is evil. And you have to believe that they would trust this character to a certain extent. Um, and I think that that scene is what does that work where you're like, oh, like I because we don't really get, you know, we, we don't have the benefit of knowing his backstory like we would in the books at this yeah. point. We haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so that's and um, that's so we don't know who Smeagol is. We just know Gollum. So that works wonderfully for this particular movie. You know, like you said, at mm -hmm. this point in the book, we already know who Smeagol is and what he's capable of. We yeah. don't know that in the movies yet. If you've never read the books, which is what makes this so absolutely compelling, and then makes the opening sequence of Return of the King even better. We're not going to talk about that right now. Yes. That'll, that'll yeah. happen next mm -hmm. week. But yes, I absolutely. 100% agree with you. 
Speaking of uh, playing two different characters, I just want to touch on this with Gandalf. You, I think it's great that it's notable that Gandalf's character does change once he becomes Gandalf the White. Mm-hmm. Like he's way less cantankerous. Like you know, you you get this kind of. I think we talk about it a little bit um, in the first in our last episode that Gandalf the Grey's got a little bit of wit to him. Like he's kind of a troublemaker, maybe a little yeah. bit. Um, and there is like none of that present in Gandalf the White. Like he's very no nonsense. Like he's still Gandalf. Like he's still the same character, but there's been progression there where he's like, okay, we're taking this way more seriously now. Yeah, I I think it. And I think it's a really great subtle performance change on Ian McKellen's part. Of course, absolutely. Okay, so and then honorable mention for best scenes in the movie has to go to Aragorn kicking the helmet. Yes. And breaking his toe. And continuing to use it in his performance. Yes. And thank you for ruining that porcelain peak on my post Oh, my God. Spoilers. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Jeez, guys. God, I know that was you, Anthony. (sighs) That had to be you. Um, (laughs) But yes, uh, honorable mention to Aragorn. A fantastic scene. And it makes it even better knowing that he actually broke his toe and continued to act through it. And that that scream of pain was real. He wasn't concerned for Merry and Pippin. He was concerned for his toe. It's funny, like, that kind of brings up um, something that I think sets these movies apart that uh, draws a direct line as to why I think the Hobbit movies don't work and why a lot of bigger movies aren't ever going to... I, to me, feel is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a weird subject because it's kind of unfortunate. A lot of people got hurt making these movies. <laughs> like, yeah, this is like, like no one died, obviously, but like, this is not a casualty less like set. And Peter Jackson, the entire time was painted. It was, I guess this is, um, speaking of Robert Zemeckis, this is an idiom that is attributed to him that pain is temporary and film is forever. <laughs> And that was just his constant because, uh, like the scenes where uh, they're running, mm-hmm. like the the three of them are running over the plains. Um, the size double for Gimli had uh, something wrong with his knee. He was like he had a just he had something dislocated, I believe. Um, Orlando Bloom had a cracked rib. Goodness. And then Aragorn or uh, Viggo Mortensen had his broken toe while they were filming that. And all three of them had to just like push through all of this pain while filming, like just booking it across these rocky plains that they're running on. Um, but it's, and I mean, like the battle scenes, like Helm's Deep, Vigo Mortensen actually broke his tooth, his front tooth, filming that. <laughs> um, wow, it's just like, you know, that, it's, yeah, it's a really rough shoot um, that I think is like encapsulated in the helmet scene where like they used all all of it as like, I think that's where the, you can see the passion that you're like, yeah, he broke his toe and then continued to just use that pain in the scene because of how passionate he was. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Makes me scared. Like, you know, I've always wanted to be an actor growing up. Now I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want to break Uh, a bone just for the sake of acting. You know, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained when he cut himself at the famous table scene. You know, Make, I don't want to be that, that scene committed. way better. Sorry. Though. 
<laughs> yeah, but it made that scene way better. It made that scene way better. He should have won an Oscar for that. Yep. Um, so that brings us to quotable lines. You've kind of touched on this, so I wanted I to let you already continue. got mine. You already got yours in. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, that's that's my quotable line for this movie. Like, that's when I think of Lord of the Rings as a trilogy. That's what I think of. Is okay. is that monologue? That's yeah. And it's a beautiful one. I like that one. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um. Well, um, my first one I want to offer up is a nice little funny one. So one does not simply talk about two towers without talking <laughs> about the great potato lesson here. Um, so the exchange between Sam and Gollum, you know, Sam's like, yeah. what we need is a few good taters. What's taters, precious? What's taters, precious? <laughs> What's taters, eh? Potatoes, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. Lovely Uh, big golden chips with a nice piece of fried fish. It's so funny to watch this scene play out. And it also, again, inspiring meme culture here, inspired Mm -hmm. a slew of memes where, you know, Sam is talking about potatoes. Yep. I got a very uh, Forrest Gump vibe here, you know. Shrimp, fried shrimp, shrimp, gumbo, shrimp scampi. (laughs) Uh, The next line I have, uh, so now I'm going to get a little bit more serious. Uh, This is one of those goosebump inducing exchanges, and it's between Aragorn and Legolas while at the Hornburg preparing for battle. (laughs) Mm. Legolas uh, is like, look at them. They're frightened. You can see it in their eyes. And then they continue in Elvish. Yeah. And they should be 300 against 10,000. And Aragorn replies, they have a better chance defending themselves here than at Edoras. Legolas says, Aragorn, they cannot win this fight. They are all going to die. And Aragorn in English, with such passion, says, then I shall die as one of them. Which, honestly, like being one of the people there listening to that exchange is like, what were they talking about? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) So much is at stake in this battle. And of course, Legolas is the one who has to be the voice of what we feel. The slaughter is coming. The doom marching towards them feels inevitable. And Aragorn, on the other hand, while also feeling this, does what he needs to do. So he's not Mm -hmm. acknowledging. He, He acknowledges without acknowledges the fact that this is coming. He knows that the fighting for freedom is the only option, that there is no run, there is no surrender, there is only a freedom or death, and he will fight for the idea alongside the men of Rohan. And this is an absolutely pivotal scene for Aragorn, and an exchange for Aragorn in itself, as he's already beginning to change his mindset for accepting his fate as a leader, as a king. Yes. Although he hasn't fully accepted that thought yet, a mindset like this makes him more receptive to what needs to happen in the events of the third and final installment of this trilogy. Very well stated. Thank you. It's very important character growth that has to happen. And yeah, this was it. This is a major leaps and bounds character growth for Aragorn. He now... uh, He doesn't fully understand, but he understands what needs to be done. This is what a leader does. They don't run from it. They don't hide from it. They face it, and they do the best they can, or they die trying. And Theoden will come to this realization just a little bit later into the battle of Helmsteep. And the last thing I would like to bring up for lines is uh, 
It's one of my favorite lines, and it's certainly not the least of all the wonderful lines in this film, but it's one that Sam uses to put Faramir, Faramir in his place. Yes. And I quote, You want to know what happened to Boromir? Do you want to know why your brother died? He tried to take the ring from Frodo after swearing an oath to protect him. He tried to kill him. The ring drove your brother mad. End quote. First off, way to go, Samwise Gamgee. Samwise be killing it in this movie, man. He's killing it. He stood up against his oppression, against the forces that attempt to prevent Frodo from carrying out his task. From someone who was simply just a gardener, barely able to speak much for himself, let alone like show that amount of gusto against anyone. I mean, he he was too scared to ask a like talk to a girl he liked. Thank you. At I was the beginning just, of the first movie. That's exactly it. He can't even talk to the yeah. woman he loves. Now he's standing up to his captor and the possible retribution that comes from doing such a thing. He is literally yelling at the captain of the guard of Gondor, telling him that his brother is a traitorous murderer or attempted murderer, and yeah. that's why he died. There's very easily Faramir with his love for his brother could have gone and been like, you know what? F you. Yeah, you're and dead. Like yeah. off of his head. Yeah. You're dead. And I took the ring. Look, I win. It was. <laughs> like, yeah, that's... exactly. It was such a brave and bold thing for Sam to do. And it had, and it paid off beautifully. This was such a wake up call for Faramir. He truly held his brother in such high regard in a much more respectful and loving way than his father ever did, but he still yeah. held him in that high regard. And we see that in the extended edition of the movie during that flashback that we've already referred to. We mm-hmm. learn that his brother is far from perfect and understand that his brother fell to temptation like greater men before him. So Faramir had to come and recognize the importance of the quest for that and for the sake of all Middle-earth, as well as men itself, he needed to let Frodo and Sam continue their journey. So that's where he showed his strength where Boromir could not. He knew what Frodo and Sam needed to do. And after listening to what caused Boromir's demise, or led to Boromir's demise, he knew he had to rise above that. So he played his role in the end game of saving the world. He became he came to believe in this quest so much that he even tried to prevent Smeagol, who mm-hmm. has started turning back into Gollum, from taking them on the path that they were headed on. Because of Sam, Faramir got to become what Boromir couldn't achieve in life, unofficially yes. replacing Boromir as a member of that fellowship. So basically, it's kind of like the whole Gandalf becoming Saruman thing, com- completing what Saruman could not finish, could not become. Faramir was that for Boromir. Yes. I mean, you even have the line where he, I think he says, like, uh, he's referencing what his, what Denethor said, where he's, it's a chance for the captain of Gondor to prove his quality or prove his worth, I think. Yeah. Um, and then Sam, and it's amazing to see the look that the actor's giving as Faramir on his face whenever Sam says as they're getting ready to leave, you've shown your worth and it's of the highest quality. And you can see this look on Faramir like the dude's never gotten like any encouragement in his life. His brother so, like, has been the only positive role model in his life and that's been flawed. Yep, like we get, and that's a lovely little exchange that you get with Boromir, like 
saying to his dad, like, dude, he's trying and you're giving him nothing yeah. right now. Um, and that's so like seeing like his face of realizing the good that he is doing whenever Sam says that is like really like emotionally resonant. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's you're yeah, that's a great, great set of like exchange of lines it's, between them. It's wonderful. It's one of it's one of my it's one of those like again, like kind of goosebump inducing. It's just it gives mm-hmm. you chills and it, it this movie serves such a great purpose. So so being the middle movie, like you were talking about earlier, you've got your introduction, you've got your end coming. The middle has got a big role to fill. And here's where characters are going to start. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their story arcs are going to start turning. And even though yeah. we just got to meet Faramir in this movie, we got to meet him and we got to see his turn. Yes. All mm-hmm. in the same movie, which makes it beautiful and makes his and makes his efforts in the third movie even more heroic. I have got lots yeah. to say about Faramir for the yes. third movie. He's fantastic. But it's 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 beautiful. But I, I've got to give props to Samwise here. He has grown so much from just being a gardener in the Shire, now you going to being Frodo's companion, to his protector, to the person who's standing up. For a quest that I don't even think Sam even fully understands yet. Yeah. Yeah. He just knows that like we gotta like he's a very like one foot and step of the other kind of guy. Gotta and it works perfectly. I mean front of the other sorry. It's the of the other. <laughs> Let's do some claymation Christmas singing here. Well, all right, here we go. <laughs> um and I mean like literally one foot in front of the other by the yeah. end of the third movie. Um which will again you can talk about emotional scenes. Woo! That's the third movie though. We'll get to that. We'll get there. We'll get there. And that's all I have for uh quotable lines for this. Solid choices. Thank you, sir. You as well. Now we come to plot holes, movie mistakes, and nitpicks. Um okay. so like I said last time, there are several little continuity issues throughout the film, and they are very well documented on sites like IMDB or moviemistakes.com and things like that. I don't have a whole lot to I actually don't have any nitpicks about this movie, and I there's one movie mistake I've noticed, okay. and uh it's one that's always stood out to me. Uh, I can't say maybe it stood out to me when I saw it in theaters. I was just so excited to be watching this movie. Um, but it did stand out to me in subsequent watches. Uh, and it's also been very well documented. So when Amer and the Rohirrim attack the orcs um, towards the beginning of the movie, the orcs that are holding Mary and Pippin captive, a horse mm-hmm. is about to trample on Mary. So before this point, Mary's hands are bound together. But at the point where they cut from the horse about to trample Mary to the scene of Mary, you see him put his untied hands up in defense. And then after he rolls rolls away from that scene, you can clearly see his hands are bound again. I'll be honest. I've never noticed that. Yeah. Go give it a watch. Hmm. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch him again. Oh, no. Poor you. (laughs) Poor you. uh, Twisting my arm. Yeah. But that's all I got for plot holes, movie mistakes, and nitpicks. You got anything? Uh, I've actually got a couple of nitpicks. Like, I think you, uh, I think you uh, talked about some pacing issues in this one. I think you're right. Like, there's something between the warg attack. Uh, as they're making their way to Helm's Deep and then Aragorn coming back that I'm just like, it's necessary because you're getting character uh, development between him and Arwen Mm -hmm. during that point. 
that is the one point where I feel kind of like <sighs> I'm going to pick up my phone and check Twitter during the movie. I mean, granted, <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen the movie so many times at this point. So, you know, it's it's hard to fault the movie for that because, I, like I said, it's important character development. Yeah. You have to invest more in this relationship uh, for us to feel satisfied at the end of the third one when it gets a resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand that. And again, I much prefer what they did over bringing her to Helm's Deep. I honestly think that would have been kind of lame. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know what I would change about that necessarily, but there's just something about the pacing of that where I'm just like, I can we just get to the Helm's Deep part now? <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about it. I just like, <sighs> I, ex- I, I agree with you. Uh, 100%. Uh, I actually talked about that during my rate the movie part of this. I, I don't know why I put the notes there instead of here, but um, that's exactly what I I was thinking when I'm saying the gotcha. pace pacing slows down a little bit. And it kind of like, okay, can we just, can we get to the good part now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, okay, I get it. Yeah. But maybe on a first time watch, it's not as bad. Yeah, oh yeah, no, on the first time watch, you're eating it up. It's all the subsequent watches yeah. that follow. You're just like, okay, I could have done without this, or you know, could. There's got to be a faster way to be doing this, you know. What yeah, I mean? let's go. Yeah, come on. come on, come on, get us to get us to the battle here. The battle is the best part. Um, yep. So you say you don't know what you would have changed. Uh, about yeah, I don't that. really know what I would change to fix that because it's what they did is like it works incredibly well. Because mm-hmm. um, it's very dreamlike, and I like that everything having to do with the elves is very like, like uh, slightly supernatural. Like it always feels dreamy mm-hmm. when you're dealing with elves stuff. Uh, between like when Frodo gets stabbed in the first one, and then when they go to Lothlorien, it's all very like removed from reality, and I like that. And I like that's what's happening here is he's hallucinating or dreaming and remembering. You know, it's all kind of mixing together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know what you'd change. I honestly don't. Maybe it's a Liv Tyler thing, honestly. Maybe <laughs> if they cast somebody else, I wouldn't feel that way. Scarlett Johansson. Uh, I don't know. What? Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind that. That, another nitpick, I hate whenever they start doing it in this movie, and I hate it, is they start doing CGI Legolas. And I think CGI are you, are like you talking like, like specifically like when he's sliding down the stairs during the Battle of Helm's Not Deep? Not there because that's that's a wire thing and that's fine because it looks fake, but it's it's still an actor. Yeah, it's whenever he whips himself up onto the horse when the wolves oh, are coming. Yeah, it okay. looks so awkward and weird, and it gets way worse in the third one because yeah. they're trying to show oh he's a crazy elf with all this agility, and it just looks so cartoony and bad next to everything else. I absolutely agree. That's actually one of the things I hate about uh the third one is when he's uh you know whipping himself yes. onto the elephants and so oh my god yep. please stop it's terrible stop it's terrible and, and it stands in such stark contrast with everything else mm-hmm. everything else looks amazing and then those like it's like a moment in each of the movies are just like ugh why and then they just double down on it in the hobbit movies and it's terrible that's the Hobbit movies. They were destined to be terrible when they decided to make three movies. Um, yep. Anyway, that's anyway, all I got. Yeah, yeah. we digress. Uh, well, what would you rate this movie on a scale of one to ten? I'll be honest. What did I rate the last one? I can't remember. <laughs> you gave it a nine. Okay. Um, God dang it! I don't. 
because there are things I like in this movie better than the first one, but there are things in the first one that I like better than this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give it a nine because okay. I think it washes out in the end. You know, like the, like I said, there's that pacing, a little bit of a, I don't know if I want to call it a pacing issue. There's just something that doesn't click with me yeah. and subsequent rewatches uh, and the CGI legless thing. Not a fan of that. Yeah. Um, but they also just introducing so many new characters, giving them new arcs. Um, that all like the performances, there's more performances and they're all great. Uh, so I'll give it a nine out of 10. I like it. I am doing the same thing. I give this movie a nine. I gave the fellowship a 10. Um, yes, I give it a nine and it's the least favorite of my trilogy of the, of my trilogy of the trilogy, (laughs) but honestly, still a fantastic (laughs) film. Uh, there are parts of this movie where the pacing slows down. We've already talked about that. And I actually just want to skip to, you know, the next best part. So what I am guilty of with this movie is I will put this movie on and immediately just go to the battle of Helm's deep. No, I am guilty of doing that. Whereas with the other two movies, I will actually watch them from beginning to end because I don't want to miss a thing with this one. I just get to my favorite part Uh, and I'm not trying to to miss a thing. Liv Tyler, Aerosmith, don't want to miss a thing. Don't want to miss a thing. I just... Sorry. It's not that I'm trying to devalue the rest of the movie. It's just like literally Helm's Deep is my favorite part. And when I think about having to watch the part where the pacing's just a little slow for me, I'm just like, nope, I don't even want to deal with that headache. Nope, I'm just going to go straight to Helm's Deep. So that's what I do. Understandable, but I'd still give it a nine. It's a it's a fantastic movie. There's a lot of great things in it, and I actually got a deeper appreciation during the for this movie during this uh, rewatch for this podcast because like I I haven't had to sit down and literally like dive into these ideas or thoughts about this movie in so long that I'm just like oh wow I actually appreciate some of this stuff now. It's fantastic. Well, yep. no. Thank you. Thank you to this podcast for saving two towers. Uh, There you go. (laughs) And then as we agreed upon during the last episode, all of our miscellaneous thoughts are being saved for another time. So I think that brings us to a wrap. Wow. Look at that. Wow. Wow, We made it all to, uh, oh God, where does this end? Um, They're getting ready to go into the swamps, I think, at the end of two towers. Going through that forest with Gollum. So they've gotten to the point where so Gollum is back. He's no longer Smeagol. Uh, they are yeah. getting uh, closer to uh, approaching the spider. The black gate. Yeah, yeah the black they're going gate. to the black gate and, and, first. Yeah. Oh, no, they've already seen the black gate. They did the black gate in this movie. Oh, my God. They did the black gate in this movie. So they decide to go around. So they're going to. Right. They're about to right. go by um, the Witch King's castle. I can't remember yep. the name of the castle. Minas Morgul. Thank you, Minas Morgul. They're about that's where they're headed. And then we have uh Gandalf and all of them headed towards Isengard and the downfall of Saruman. Oh, Saruman. Uh, where yeah. Mary that is Pippen, where we are. Yeah, that's where we are. Where Mary and Pippin are already uh digging into the food stores. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of the one of the funniest lines. The salted pork is rather good. So, um <laughs> So, yes, that brings us to the conclusion of the two towers. So when we convene next, we are going to conclude the Lord of the Rings trilogy with the return of the king. Uh, Gee, I wonder who the king is. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking it's Legolas. 
Yeah, probably. Many forget that he should be a king. I mean, yeah, I guess technically, yeah. Now I think about it. <laughs> he is a prince, but nobody ever wants yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> what a swerve. It's, it's like a <laughs> first kingdom you never heard of. Uh, his father was, uh, was, a, was a strange dude. Strange dude. Yes. Although Lee Pace did a good job. I, I will he give did, him that yeah. in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. But no. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the conclusion of the two towers. Stephen, thank you so much for uh, continuing this journey with me. Like I said in my Instagram post, you're insane for agreeing to do yeah. this with me. Yeah, it's all right. You know, I like to think that you know, I'm a little crazy. Yeah. We all go a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. No, this is. Uh, I'm having a blast doing this, and honestly, I'll. I don't really need an excuse to watch the Lord of the Rings again. It's nice <laughs> to have one, though. You no, know. I absolutely agree. I just, <laughs> there, there's never a bad time to be watching Lord of the Rings and to sit down and True. watch these movies and just really think about the deeper meanings, the deeper thoughts, the implications that this has. It, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't know about you. I created seven pages of notes between uh like for the first movie seven pages of notes for the second movie god only knows what i'm going to be thinking about <laughs> for the third movie which spoiler alert is my favorite of the three oh. because i love conclusion stories so it's not really that much of a spoiler alert i just went on a rant about it earlier so i'm excited to sit down and talk return of the king with you here yes. later and uh, that will be our episode next week so guys thank you for tuning in for our Two Towers talk. Again, if you haven't had the chance yet, please go listen to our Fellowship of the Ring talk. It's absolutely wonderful. Then come back and listen to this one again. And then stay tuned for next week for our Return of the King and the conclusion of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Stephen, thank you again for joining me. And I want everybody out there to please remain safe and uh, stay healthy out there so you can continue to listen to this podcast. And that's all I got to say. So I will see you next week. We will see you next week at Minas Tirith. Yes.